Hello everyone, we welcome you to Soundtrack City. I'm Nisa. And I'm Frankie. And we are two movie-loving, music-appreciating besties who love to learn more about and discuss music and film. And we have a very special episode ahead of us today, don't we Frankie? Yes, we are officially turning one. And of course, to commemorate our one-year anniversary birthday is this an anniversary or birthday um well okay i've heard it two ways right it's kind of both yeah um i've heard of people referring to like the day you're born is your actual birthday and then every date that you know your birthday falls on after that is actually the anniversary of your birth so that makes so much sense yeah (laughs) so that's so it's the anniversary of our our first episode and it's birth and the birth of the podcast. <laughs> okay, so it's like a two for one celebration, and of course, because this is a big deal for us, we decided to do one of our joint favorites, and we've been like geeking out over this, planning everything, like kind of worried, right? Definitely worried, guys, because this because this is such a cult classic and because this movie means just as much and more to people as it does to us, then, like, we really wanted to do it justice. We really wanted to, like, not cut any corners when it came to this movie. Like, we wanted to do it justice. We wanted to delve in really deep and we wanted to bring you fun facts and info that you may not have known before. And, of course all about the music (laughs) yes definitely and this movie is riddled with amazing songs yes top to bottom it was so hard to choose so hard (laughs) you know what it really was and i and i'll go ahead and throw in um i'll go ahead and go into this now and i know you'll feel the same way because we we both grew up with this soundtrack but um whenever i Whenever I admire a soundtrack, I find myself preferring some songs over others or like legit, there will be songs on the soundtrack that I will like skip purposely because I just, I'm not crazy about them. They were great in the film, but when I'm just listening to them as a part of like a playlist uh, with no film atmosphere, like they don't mean as much. Um, But Rocky Horror... (laughs) is just one of those soundtracks that like I can listen to all the way through and yes there are some songs that I I like better than others but I I can't skip a song on that list no not at all and I find myself like quoting the lines that go in between and it's almost as though this soundtrack as much as I love it by itself this is one of those soundtracks that I absolutely have to watch the movie if I start listening to the soundtrack because it just it just goes so perfectly together the film and the music it's amazing it's amazing it's phenomenal and I know guys what you're thinking Nisa and Frankie don't cover musicals (laughs) but we wanted to touch base on that tonight and clear up any mis you know conceptions Yes. Um, so it, we actually, 
We haven't done a musical yet, have we? No, this is our first. So this okay. is just like a first, a first. It's, it's an amazing night. Yeah, this is a big deal, guys. Like, not only is this movie just epic on its own, but like this is kind of a, a first for us. So we're gonna we're gonna spread our wings a bit today. But yes, just to clarify, guys, um, we at Soundtrack City appreciate all music in film. And that even transcends film. We also love soundtracks to TV shows and video games. So there really is no limit. When we say it's a soundtrack city, like that covers, that's a big umbrella. Mm -hmm. um, and musicals are no different. If you go back to our first episode, we did say in the beginning that we would not exclude soundtracks to musicals, but rather they might be featured less often. Um, Frankie is an ex-theater nerd. I am an ex-theater nerd. We love anything that has been written for the stage and screen. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at, to the naked eye, musicals may seem like an easy target for an episode. Well, the truth is, they may seem that way, but they're actually a lot more work. They really are. You agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hands down. Like I told Misa when we were researching, I was like, I don't feel like I have enough content because, you know, it, it is written for the movie. The songs are written typically by one or two people. So, I mean, we can't cover all of them every single song. Um, and it is a little bit harder to find some, like, information about that song. Um, but this movie has so much other history and covers and just lots of different details. And that's what makes this one definitely unique. And so I'm really, really happy that we did save this one for our first. Yeah, yeah, me too. This was actually, this has been our plan for maybe like 10 months now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we were still maybe three or four episodes in and we were like, when are we going to do Rocky Horror? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's a big one, you know, we knew we had to save it for something special. Yeah, it's a big one for sure. So if those of you out there who were worried that maybe we wouldn't do a musical, that maybe we wouldn't do this musical among others, fear not. We we absolutely love musicals. We appreciate them. We love the music and the stories. Maybe they will be a little less frequent, but they will be here. But it's just like Frankie said, it's hard to delve into the meaning of a song when it was written solely for the purpose of the show mm -hmm. and all the songs were written by the same person. Yeah. So, you know, it does get a little more challenging to to find information about the soundtrack and the film when, you know, there's not a whole lot of depth as far as um, the songwriting between each song. Um, but because we care so greatly about our content, we took it upon ourselves to delve in deeper. So we, we dug up fun facts about the production. We dug up the history of the show, uh, inspiration, Richard O'Brien, you know, everything that we could find, we did. Yes, yes. I have a, I'm staring at my 55 page document right now. And I can tell you that I do have some fun facts for you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mine is about the equivalent and I have like 20 tabs opened up ready for like information that I just couldn't encompass into my document. So I have like multiple things going on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have like sections and stuff and everything is color coded because I had to. <laughs> yeah, there's just there's so much, so much. And we, we decided to kind of take a big bite 
of this movie, and um, we're covering 10 songs. So that in itself is a lot. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be... Uh, I thought back to our uh, Breakfast Club episode, and I was like, Breakfast Club wasn't even a musical, and the audio, unedited, ended up being five hours long. Yeah. So I can only imagine what I'm going to end up with in Garage Band. It's going to be good, guys. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. Buckle up. Buckle up. (laughs) Before we move on to the soundtrack itself, there are a few things we wanted to touch upon. Of course, those of you who've been listening to us or if you're just catching up and you noticed a nice gap of time between this and our last episodes, it is because we took some time off just some of the issues in the world. We really felt like we needed to get further involved, and so we took time off to get involved and just kind of educate ourselves on, you know, systemic racism and civil rights and just, guys, we need you to vote. (laughs) Yeah, please please vote. We need you to vote in November. Uh, If you live in the Houston area, the Toyota Center is going to be a voting, like, area. So you can actually go to the stadium and vote there if you are reluctant to mail in your vote, if you're reluctant about who will be handling your mail-in vote, mm-hmm. vote early, vote often. Yes, please vote early. And guys, today is the time. Make sure you are registered. Do not wait. Double check that registration. Make sure that you can vote. Double check the location that you can vote. If you guys can't figure out how to do that, find us on Instagram. Send us a message. We will help you. Mm-hmm. We will help you find your voting location, any of that. Just exercise your freedom to vote. Like, that's such a big deal. And people just take it for granted. And now is the time. 2020 is not the year to sit back and do nothing. That is absolutely correct. Um, I'll go ahead and, guys, if you check the blog after this episode, I'll go ahead and have some links on the top for if you need to check your voter registration, if you need to register to vote. And we can also link you to a couple resources as to where you can find your closest voting station. There are no excuses, guys. None. If you need someone to drive you, hit us up. We'll drive you. Yeah, I've literally, ever since like June, I've been hitting up my friends and telling them like, if you need a ride to vote blue, I will pick you up. Yep. I don't care how far it is. Yeah, guys. And now carpooling. <laughs> I know carpooling is a bit of a risk, but I think as long as you guys wear masks and keep the windows down, you should be okay. And don't mind getting sprayed by Lysol. I mean, that's a must. <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, that aside, but keep in mind, guys, that is very important. Uh, the important part aside, um, we do want to thank our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We did get Soundtrack City stickers over this summer. Thank you, Misa. They're so cute. And guys, we went ahead and sold them for $2 a piece uh, in July, throughout July and some of August. And we actually donated the proceeds to the Texas Civil Rights Project. And thanks to some of our very faithful listeners, we managed to donate $171 total. So that's pretty awesome. That's exciting. Yay, us. Now, as far as, uh, for those of you who did buy your stickers, we want to see them. We want to see where you stuck it. What did you do with it? Where is it sitting? Uh Where you stuck it. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) Yeah. 
I sure did. Um, so we kind of want to start a challenge. Um, if you are on Instagram and you bought a Soundtrack City sticker and you've put it somewhere, maybe on your laptop, maybe on your journal, maybe you stuck it in a public place somewhere while you were walking by. I don't know. <laughs> but we want to see them. So we ask uh, if you spot a Soundtrack City sticker or if you slapped a Soundtrack City sticker somewhere. <laughs> we kindly ask you to please take a picture mm -hmm. and you can either upload it onto your Instagram, tag us and use the hashtag soundtrack city spotted and go ahead and tag the location where you found it. It can also be just the city and the state, but you can get specific as you want. However, we don't want to know where you live. And um, okay, yes. yeah, we just, we want to see uh, where our stickers end up. Or if you don't want to post to your Instagram, feel free to snap a photo and DM us on Instagram at Hey Soundtrack City. And with your permission, and we will give you full credit, we would be happy to post the photo on our feed with the location tagged and yourself as well. Kind of the goal of the challenge is to use the hashtag Soundtrack City Spotted because we want to know just how far our stickers are going to travel. I think it'd be really cool to see all the pretty places that our sticker ends up. Yeah, I know that we had a fan um, send you a message the other day, right, from, where was it? Remind me. I know it was overseas. Oh, yeah, uh, my friend in the UK. <laughs> yes. Okay, so, like, we would love to see our stickers travel. Like, if you guys plan on, you know, safely traveling, take our stickers with you and, like, pass them around, stick them other places. Like, how fun is that? We're so excited to see where these end up. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to see all the pretty places and all the awesome pictures and uh we I know for sure that we sent a batch of stickers to my friends in LA, my friends mm -hmm. in Compton, my friends in Corpus and my friends in like the UK. <laughs> <laughs> so they're already kind of spreading out. If you need a sticker, let us know, hit us up. We have a box of them. We would love to distribute. So exciting. Awesome. Um, and then on top of that, guys, in addition to sharing our sticker with the world, however you please, we urge you to share our podcast with your friends. We know that there's a friend or a group of people that you love to watch movies with, and we know there's someone that you wish you could have spent the summer at the theater with. Tell your movie lover friends. Tell your music-loving friends about us. We'd love to hear feedback. We'd love to get soundtrack suggestions. We love listeners. We love new listeners. We love our loyal listeners. Um, if you just tell one or two people about us, that could really help us out. Um, and plus, if you visit our Instagram, we are only 10 followers away from 100. Don't you want to help us get to 100? <laughs> I would be so honored. Like anyone who, the next 10 people, like I will personally bake you a Soundtrack City cookie and send it to you. Guys, that deal can't be beat, and she makes bitchin' ass cookies, so you need, you need to take her up on that. Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> so thank you again for buying our stickers, and thank you for sharing us when you do, because I know you will, because you're awesome, and we like you, and you're handsome, and pretty. And gorgeous. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can see you through these headphones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I love it. <laughs> and now... We are going to shift gears just a bit to something a little more serious. Uh, I'm going to let Frankie take the floor. Yeah, there's no easy way to shift this. Um, 
we do just want to kind of take a moment. Uh, we lost an amazing and talented actor, one who I had the privilege of discussing and talking about as he starred in the Black Panther. Um, for those of you who know, Chadwick Boseman passed away uh, just a couple days ago, August 28th. He was only 43. He was privately dealing with colon cancer. And I didn't really mention it because it was, you know, I that is a very private thing. And there was very few records of it when I was doing my research for Black Panther and on him. Um, and based on what I read, honestly, I thought that he had, you know, beaten cancer and was one of those who had survived it. Um, I was just taken aback by the news and I immediately texted Misa when I found out. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a sad loss. And I just really hope that any movie that you have of his, you know, watch it, remember him. The best way that we can pay homage to him is just by continuing to love and watch all of his movies that he's been in, not just Black Panther, but, you know, other movies like Marshall. Um, I know he was in uh, 21 Bridges, um, lot, uh, Message from the King, which I actually haven't finished watching. I started that one, but just a lot of his other movies, and a lot of these were, you know, nominated and award winners. Um, and before we do shift gears into our actual movie, I have a cute little antidote. My youngest is obsessed with Black Panther. And when I found out, of course, I was very upset. And so he asked what happened. And when I told him, he doesn't understand, you know, that Black Panther is played by Chadwick. And so when I told him, he thought that Black Panther died. And so he went and got all of his Black Panther voice. And he has several figures. He has, you know, the claws. He has the mask. He has everything. And he went and got it. And he was like, it's okay, mommy, I'll be Black Panther now. And I just bawled because so sweet, so cute, and just so innocent. So we uh, we wish you well, Chadwick, and we hope that you're resting in peace. Well said. Um, uh, it's a sad situation. Well, not only is it because it, he, he was so young and talented, but because we only got a slight taste of that talent. Like, I, I feel like he accomplished so much at, at, by 43, but yeah. think of all the things that we're going to miss out on with yeah. his future. Like, it, and, and I don't, don't want to make it sad by thinking of it that way. Of course, we need to honor him by watching his films and appreciating his work and and taking to his, his view on, on life and chances and stuff like that. Like, Definitely. from what I've seen... I've seen a lot of clips of him popping up, and it's 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 not so much a lot of him in character. It's a lot of him out of character. It's Chadwick Boseman him, himself, like talking about people and talking about himself and talking about like his process and his work. And you can just you can see the dedication seeping from him. And he was he just seemed like a really good soul. Yes, absolutely. And he very much so. Like I know. Um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking out. Um, Olaf. Josh Gad. Thank you. I knew it was Gad. I couldn't remember his first name. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I know that he shared his text message. Um, and it was just so sweet. And it was so heartfelt and, you know, so encouraging. And he was just like a genuine person. 
so down to earth. Um, I mean, anyone who met him talked constantly about how he was just a great person. So not only was he amazingly talented and selfless, but he was just one of those people who everyone loved to be around. And that's that's a hard loss, um, especially with, you know, everything going on, the way 2020 has been. Um, it's, it's sad. It's sad. It is sad. Um, but he left a legacy mm-hmm. that will never be forgotten. I mean, the accomplishments of Black Panther alone, like the first ever superhero movie to be nominated for an Oscar, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, ma'am. It's so fitting that someone like him, of his caliber, his talent, and his soul would, would be a part of something that special. He will always be a part of something that special because people are going to be watching Black Panther until the end of time. Yes, absolutely. It's a great film, guys. So if you didn't watch it when I covered it, um, or, you know, if it's been a while, go rewatch it and just appreciate him. And maybe check out one of his other films if that you haven't watched yet. Definitely. Cool. Um, well, let's all take a deep breath. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, because this is a, a different shift. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, of course, we, we couldn't have gone on with a new episode without mentioning him. So No, not at all. And I know it meant a lot of Frankie to say something. So I think it's... It's definitely worth, you know, just kind of acknowledging that, you know, we lost a great man and we need to honor him from here on out because he was something special. (laughs) Well said. But um, for now, um, if you are listening to this, it must be September 12th because it's our birthday. Happy birthday to you. So this is super exciting. Yeah, this podcast, we started it off just for fun, and now it's a year later, and we're still just kind of doing it for fun. <laughs> yes, but guys, let me tell you, Nisa and I have some crazy fun stuff planned. We have some big ideas in the works. Um, I mean, notebooks filled with things that we want to accomplish, Um, And, you know, even if this is just, I mean, I consider us pretty big for us to have almost 100 people following our podcast. Uh, I mean, just to be like two random geeky girls who love movies and music. So that's kind of a a little dream come true almost. Um, And we're super excited about where things take us in the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely. And guys, you know, we couldn't have done any of this without you. No, you guys are so special. Thank you guys so much for your support. Whether you've just started listening to us, whether you've been a day oneer since day one, like we love you, we appreciate you, and we hope we can make you laugh and smile for a few hours a couple times a, a month. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Awesome. Um, so I think without further ado. We should uh, go into the Rocky Horror Soundtrack Show. (laughs) I'm like, I'm nervous. I'm shaking. Uh, This is some big shoes to fill. I know. I'm super nervous. So first, Frankie, when did you first see Rocky Horror? What was your exposure to it? What's your story behind it? 
Um, so Rocky Horror was introduced to me by my amazing dad. He is an avid Rocky Horror fan. He was one of those lucky, lucky people who got to grow up with it in theaters, as well as seeing the night showings. Um, he's seen stage productions of it. He um, introduced it to me on Halloween, and it was like my ninth, I was nine years old, um, which, you know, is a little young, but you know, times are different. <laughs> and um, it is one that my dad and I, even though it is kind of like a traditional Halloween movie, somehow it kind of warped into that. Um, my dad and I typically watch this around his birthday, and we watch it pretty much every year together. And he used to actually dress up with me to watch it. So it's it's very special to me. And um, it's just always been one of my favorites. Like since the first time I watched it, I was like, this is amazing. And then I was like, and you like this? Because my dad is not always as open-minded as I am. And to realize that this was one of his favorites, I was like, wow, I feel like so much more connected to you. So this it's definitely like a father-daughter um, bonding thing. That's awesome. Yeah. And you know, you're, I feel like a lot of people's like origin story with Rocky Horror is, is largely due to someone in their family mm -hmm. or uh, in that same vein, someone will have been introduced to it by someone who like became family and then they became part of the Rocky Horror family. So it's all very like, a, it's a closeness thing. It's a bonding movie. It really is. Absolutely. Like there is a Rocky family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's your origin story? Um, okay. So let's see. Um, I crash landed on the earth and they found me in a field. Mm -hmm. No and belly button, of course. No belly button. And they were like, oh, she's got superpowers. Oh, shit. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, I was I was a little older than you when I when I got into it. I think I I think I was like ten because I know that we first got cable in nineteen ninety nine, and I I was in like fifth grade or fourth mm -hmm. grade, and uh, the reason I first saw this movie is me and my sister and I I think her boyfriend at the time was there. We were sitting around the living room and she was flipping through channels and I was preoccupied with something. I was probably drawing. And she flipped to VH1, and they had a back in the day. VH1 had a, a like a special thing for movies called Movies That Rock. Yes. <laughs> yep. And Rocky Horror played quite a bit on yeah. VH1's Movies That Rock, guys. They're big fans. Yeah, yeah, they yeah they have to be because the music is fucking banging. <laughs> um, so I, I'm sitting there, and she's, she's flipping through channels, and then she, she flips to VH1, and Rocky Horror is on. And it was like, it was literally on the part where Frank is singing, I Can Make You a Man, and he's handing Rocky the gifts, like the, the weights. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They look like candy. Yeah. I always love that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I, she was like, oh, my God, this is Rocky Horror. And I was like, What? <laughs> <laughs> am I say? supposed to know this <laughs> um like she was like yeah this is musical and she she immediately pointed out Tim Curry because she knew I loved Tim Curry like 
I, ever since I was a child, like Home Alone 2, Annie, anything that Tim Curry has been in is just like watchable. And so she's like, that, that's Tim Curry. And I was like, wow. Like I was so amazed that he was wearing all this makeup. He looked so mm-hmm. different. And then um, like within like a minute or so of her flipping to that channel, Meatloaf made his entrance. And after that, I was sold. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah, man. It was, it was, it was good times. And then um, it got to the point where she would take me with her to the midnight showings. So I've been going to the midnight showings since I was like 10. And it got to the point where like, obviously my memory is a fucking elephant. So she would take me, she took me to like one or two and I memorized all the audience participation lines. Of course. <laughs> and so then she was like, so ever since then, when she brings someone new to Rocky Horror, she makes me go with them so I can teach them everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's it was so weird because I was like a teenager and I'm hanging out with college kids that are 12 plus years older than me and I'm shouting profanities and they're just like, what? <laughs> So how long have you been doing this? Yeah, exactly. It's it's an experience, guys. We absolutely recommend going to a Rocky Horror Midnight showing. If you're in the Houston area, River Oaks does it. Of course, not now, but usually. Mm-hmm. But definitely attend one. It will change your life. <laughs> yes, and guys, this is the 45th anniversary year, um, and so Misa and I were talking. They are supposed to be having some drive-in showings. Um, of course, social distance, you know, you're in your car, uh, but check out Shobo. Um, I just blanked out the other one, the Sawyer drive-ins. Um, if you're further, I apologize. I am not, you know, up to par with all of my drive-in movie theaters, but for real, check them out. September 26th, Misa? Yeah, September 26th is the anniversary. And, um, there are supposed to be a lot of drive-in movie theaters showing that. And so what an awesome experience. If you have never seen this, at least go and try to find one because that would be really cool. If not, um, I'm kind of thinking about hosting one in my backyard on my projector. You know, we can bring our own lawn chairs, social distance, bring your BYOF, bring your own food. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we can have a good time. How fun would that be? I think that would be a really good idea, especially now that it's cooling down. Like, yes. well, it's going to start to. Sorry, I guess I shouldn't. Don't jinx it, Lisa. Don't jinx it. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. Um, yeah, no, I know. Like, today I was trying to run errands, and then I was like, uh, I think I'm, I'm good I'm now. Done. I don't want to keep getting into a hot car. <laughs> um, That's the worst. A hundred thousand percent agree with Frankie. If you do find Rocky Horror Picture Show showing at your local drive-in, um, please, please make the drive and make the effort and go see it. And I mean, think about it. Like, how many times do you get to see a movie like this at a drive-in, like the old school way? Like, that's an experience in its own. Yeah. So I definitely recommend it. It's cool. It's comfortable. You can smuggle in your own food and your drinks and you can lay out in the bed of your truck or you can lay the seats down, put a blanket like if you can make it your own little camping trip for a couple hours. Yeah. How like just such an experience. I'm like geeking out trying to make sure that Misa and I 
do not miss like if there is a drive-in that has it like we're on it <laughs> I am going to find tickets somewhere or if not like I said I'm hosting I'm hosting you heard it here yeah I think I think that should be plan a because <laughs> um but I think that would be really cool to just have like a backyard chill sesh and yeah that'd be fun yeah those are my favorite yeah the last time we did that it was Coraline so I'm about Rocky Horror so let's do it that's awesome. Yeah, we should definitely do it. All right, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I've realized about this movie, not only in, in loving it all my life, but also, or most of my life, but also in doing research on it, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, it really is for everyone. Um, like I Like your story, for example, I know a couple other people who they got introduced to it at a really young age. And because the truth is like, there's really nothing graphic in the movie. You can watch it with kids. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a couple concepts you might have to explain to them, but aside from that, it's not gruesome. It's not vulgar. Uh, it, you know, you don't really see a lot of nipple. So <laughs> no, there's <laughs> I mean, like a glimpse. And honestly, I think it teaches kids at an early age, um, you know, that it's it's okay for whatever your gender is to wear makeup, to dress however you feel. Like it, it really, it just teaches um, empathy and understanding for, you know, everyone. Um, and I agree with you, Misa, because having seen it at such an early age, I, it totally went over my head, you know, that they were like, there was a sexual innuendo of, you know, Brad getting ahead, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like it's totally over my head. Didn't realize that until I was older. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, that's what makes it funny is as you grow older, you start to, that's even in any movie, really, like yeah. when you don't get it right away and then you watch it when you're older and you're like, oh, I can't believe I missed that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was really like that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so Rocky is definitely one of those films where like you watched it as a kid and you, you jammed to the music and you thought the colors were pretty and the characters were funny, but then you grew up and you were like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, in addition to that, not only is Rocky Horror for everyone in the sense of like all ages, but I feel like it's also for everyone in the sense that multiple generations can enjoy it at the same time. Like I was 10 or 11 and you said you were nine um, and your dad introduced you to it. And my 20 something year old sister introduced me to it. And, you know, it's, um, it, it's being a fan of Rocky Horror. It really makes you feel like you're part of a special club. It's not a secret club and there are no rules, but the members span across all countries, all languages, all creeds, all genders. And it's special because it has a life of its own. It transcends the stage. It transcends the screen. It transcends music. It's a part of people's identity. It's kind of like you said, where it teaches kids that it's okay to be weird. It's okay to be yourself. You know, mm -hmm. don't dream it, be it, literally. Uh -huh. um, Beautiful. And we're done. Like, that's it right there, that quote. <laughs> <laughs> don't dream it, guys. Be it. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I've heard so many people talk about, like, this movie helped them on their path to self-discovery and it, it bonds them literally to other people like like you with your dad and me with my sister and you and I, you know, like it's it's yeah. so much bigger than all of us. And that's what makes it such a beautiful thing. You know, when you when you talk to someone about their love for Rocky Horror, 
they speak warmly about their memories and experiences. The fandom is all inclusive, um, all sexual orientation, all colors. Um, I've never heard of or experienced anything bad or pretentious from the following. They're all really, really good people. Yeah, and I was telling Nisa, like, how she said it is for everyone. Like, I can't tell you how many people I spoke to over the past week and a half now that I've been back at work. Um, you know, like, hey, tell me about your experience with Rocky Horror. First, it was, have you seen it? And everyone I asked was, yes. And did you like it? Everyone, again, yes. And then I said, you know, like, tell me your favorite parts. Tell me what you like the most. And they all talked about how they loved the um, audience participation, how it was a movie that wasn't so serious. You know, it was a fun movie. They loved the music. They loved the atmosphere. Like, for those of you who haven't gone, when you go to a midnight showing, there's no judgment. You know? there's so much love from everyone in the room and there's just so much like encouragement almost. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. And it's so funny that you and I think alike because I also spent the last few weeks asking around to my friends, like, why does Rocky Horror mean so much to you? What's your story with Rocky Horror? Mm -hmm. And if it's okay, I wanted to read a few of the responses I got. Of course. Cool. Um, so Martha, our friend Martha, you know her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello, Martha. Hey, Martha. Fajita um, soon. Yes, as soon as possible. Um, so I asked Martha, I was like, hey, why do you love Rocky Horror? And she was like, uh, can you give me some time? <laughs> <laughs> I and I was ask. like, <laughs> I was like, yes, um, no rush, but also we're recording soon. So <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no pressure, but all the pressure. And so she sent me this really awesome response that says, um, one of the main reasons that I love Rocky Horror is that the plot is just bizarre and fun. I know some people will watch it and be like, but I don't get it. And that's what's awesome about it. It's not some big cinematic statement that you have to get. It's unique. I like that it draws inspiration from classic horror sci-fi. And of course, the songs are just plain awesome. It also shows that it's okay to be a weirdo, and I think that's why a lot of weirdo types are drawn to it. And of course, last but not least, watching it at the midnight showing is an experience that really can't be explained to someone unless they see it for themselves. And it just adds to the glorious campiness of the film. Well said, Martha. You just like took took everything we just said and made it beautiful. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Martha, for your response. I have one from Steffi as well. Okay, cool. Um, I introduced Steffi to this movie and I don't remember doing this. She claims that I let her borrow it and I'm like, why didn't Ooh. I watch it with you? Yeah, that's not like Musa. I get it may have been one of those things where it's like, oh, I know I won't be able to come over here. Just take it. Mm, okay. Or something like that. But she said, when I first watched it, I did not immediately like it. You let me borrow it. I watched it alone in my room. And all I thought was, interesting, a little weird, I don't get the hype, lol. <laughs> <laughs> but then you took me to a showing, and I loved it. The community, 
everyone could let themselves go and yell at the screen all they want and sing at the top of their lungs and get up and dance with no judgment, capital letters. (laughs) She says, I love musicals and singing along to them. And I can't do that at a typical music show, but at Rocky Horror, I can. So it's basically basically what Frankie just said about there is no judgment. Like there is no limit. No one is looking at you funny for what you're wearing or not wearing. Yeah. In fact, they're encouraging you like, oh, my God, I love your outfit. I love your makeup. Where did you get this? Did you make that? Like everyone is so happy and loving and encouraging. And um, I remember when we had like our thespian banquet or something, they put the song on. And of course, all of us just run out immediately. They put on Time Warp and dance and they're no judgments, no fucks are given. It's just the song and like such happy moments to dance and sing and not have the care in the world. I love it. It just, it makes like I'm, I'm beaming right now because it just, it fills me with such joy to watch this movie mm-hmm. and listen to the music. Do you remember we did the time warp at Rissy and Tony's wedding? Yes, of course I do. <laughs> fucking I was the photographer for that shit and even I put my camera down to just be like hang on yeah give me four minutes hold my camera (laughs) oh it was such good times it was such good times that's how you tell a theater geek's wedding by the way if the time warp plays they are a true theater geek (laughs) exactly so thank you Steffi for your response and then I do have one more from Janelle okay I'm going to insert that here. She sent an audio clip because she wanted to be extra. So I'm going to figure that out. I love the extra. (laughs) You go, Janelle. I think I was around seven or eight years old the first time that I watched the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I know that that's not a normal thing. And I'm very pleased now um, as an adult that 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 was the case. I just remember being like in shock and in awe what I was seeing. Uh, You know, I'd never seen what I assumed was a man dressed as a woman and these costumes and this makeup. It was so shocking, but I was so smitten. I was so intrigued by all of it. I just remember wanting to watch that first, like the first 15 minutes over and over and over and over again. Um, it be- just became like a family movie, and that's so weird to say, I know, but we watched it as a family, and, and yeah, I can remember my mom, you know, telling me, you know, close your eyes, don't, don't look at this part, you know, for the not-so-family-friendly not so, not so uh, family friendly, uh, friendly parts, and just feeling like I loved, um the doctor and loving Tim Curry and his and his role you know I can't even fathom how it was when they cast him and they told him he was just going to be this transvestite and <laughs> amazingly so you know just pulling it off and creating something so legendary um I love that that first scene um, in the darkness and like Brian and Jan all alone. Um, it's just one of my favorites. Um, in the darkness. 
me literally seeing this um this song all the time with my family like one of us will start it and then we'll just keep going and going and going and that's what it means to me you know spending time spending time with family singing these songs um I was happy to introduce this to my husband a few years ago he'd never seen it and watching his reaction and everything and he loved it um and he wanted to know like what is this about you know I've heard about it and I'm like listen dude you're just gonna have to watch and boy was he shocked (laughs) so you know ultimately I just feel like the Rocky Horror is just I just feel like it's just that that one movie that no matter how old you get you watch it you feel it, you believe it, you join in, and it's always going to make you feel like you belong. It's always going to make you feel like you're, you're weird enough. Yeah. You, you're, you're, you're just fine the way that you are. Um, there's always going to be somebody weirder than you. <laughs> um, and yeah, let's just do, uh, let's do the time warp again. You beat me. What the hell? She was very young when she saw this movie, dude. But I mean, yeah. you got it. You got to teach them young, right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. For sure. Thank you, Janelle, for your response. Thank you, all you guys, for your response. I hope you didn't mind me picking your brain. And um, I have heard it many, many times before. And I know, Frankie, you have too. Someone will watch the movie and they'll be like, I didn't get it. Or like, I don't think I understood it. Or like, they feel like they missed something, right? Yes, absolutely. And um, so for those of you who are not as familiar with Rocky Horror, to sum things up, if you say that you don't get Rocky Horror, you might be thinking too far into it. Um, Because in the simplest terms, it is a parody of and tribute to science fiction, and B-horror movies. Specifically from the 30s to, like, the early 60s. Those type of, like, it came from the da 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 fill in the blank with, you know, gutters, space, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. It really is a parody. So, like, for example, when you parody Scream, you get Scary Movie. When you parody James Bond, you get Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you parody Walk the Line, you get Walk Hard to Do a Cock Story. <laughs> and <laughs> and <laughs> when you mash together all those B-movies from the 30s to the, to the 60s, and you mesh sci-fi and drama, and you add musical numbers, you get the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ugh, such a beautiful show. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think about it, like, You don't even have to really go back and watch these movies, although I do recommend that you do. Those movies involved space travel and aliens and a love interest and some kind of mission. And um, when you think about the movies, you know, where there was like an inventor or a doctor and his creation, he always has a purpose for that creation. It's like a servant, muscle. Mm -hmm evil bidding something like that yeah and so the joke of the movie is that frank built a perfect man to fuck yeah to release his tension (laughs) yes and so it 
it's it's hilarious in the sense of like that's the way the premise kind of turns left field and it's like oh of course why didn't the other doctors think of that they're so lonely (laughs) (laughs) do we want to talk about the remake really quick oh let's do the time warp again yeah uh i mean we definitely can uh he it, it it had tim curry so there's that. <laughs> That's all we know. I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. I actually I did actually watch it and then I rewatched <laughs> it. Um, it just it I just I I want to say this like in a nice way and not like oh you're just you know ragging. Um, even though this movie is actually kind of a remake in itself because it started off as a stage production, um, I feel like it's almost untouchable because it was perfectly casted and it is so hard to embody that or try to remake it exactly the same um because it just it falls a little short for me um and that's with kind of any production that I've seen of it um now I will be honest I haven't seen it on Broadway uh so I don't have experience speaking there but anything that I've seen where they've tried to like recover it or you know um do something with it on TV it just it it falls a little short for me um I think they tried really hard to make it a little bit different um Victoria Justice did okay and um I forgot his name Matthew Mc uh, I, I apologize. What was his name? You know more than I do. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. He was in um, one of the kids' shows that they love. God dang it. I had it up and now I don't know where it is. Excuse me, friends. While I get my life together. Um, <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. It's going to kill me that I can't. Ryan McCartan. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. And then, of course, Laverne Cox played uh Dr. Frankenberger and she, she actually did a phenomenal job with her voice like she really tried but there was just some differences for me like just maybe some like little nuances that I was like oh I just like that so much better in the film um you know just little things and there were some parts where the music wasn't the same and again that's just because Tim had such an amazing voice um and you know Susan with her falsetto same with um Barry. Oh my gosh. I can't. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I'm getting all my names confused. Same with Barry. I mean, their voices were just untouched and I applaud them for trying. I think it was a great attempt to get a bigger audience to surround maybe around this movie because, you know, all the people who played it were pretty young. Um, most of them, you know, were like us. They hadn't seen it in theater, didn't get to really see it until they were introduced to it. So that was, you know, a, a fun idea, but it just, it fell a little short for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can see. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. Now I didn't, I didn't watch the movie as many times as you did, which I guess was twice. <laughs> I did watch it twice. Yeah. So I actually okay. watched it. Um, I actually watched it on when it was live, like on TV, they did it live. Mm-hmm. Um, box did when it first came out like I remember being very excited because I was super excited that Tim came back and played the narrator 
And I was like, you know, this was after his stroke and everything. And I was a little worried. And so I figured that's why they gave him kind of like a safe role. But um, I was super excited about that. And then I felt, you know what, if Tim gave his blessing for this, and so did Richard, I need to I need to watch it, you know. And um, so I watched it that one and it I, I'm not gonna lie, I did change the channel, I did kind of, you know, have it on his background information. And I do have a confession to make. That is actually the first time that my kids watched it. And I was sad that they watched that one first. Instead of at least that's the first memory, you know what I mean? Like they've watched it when they were younger, and they just don't remember it. Um, so that that was their first like memory of Rocky Horror. And I was like, don't judge it by this watch the real one. Um, and then I did rewatch it again for the podcast. Okay. Yeah. You, so you definitely, you watched it twice as many times as I did, which was zero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, don't get me wrong, guys. I, I know that Tim was cool with it, obviously, because he's in it. Um, but it's just, I have this, I do love movies. Don't get me wrong. Like it is my second language movies, but <laughs> I have an interesting relationship with movies. Like I, I'm not always chomping at the bit to watch movies right away. You know, mm-hmm. like I have a, I have a list of movies that I need to see before I die. And I'm, I'm not really spending an hour or two hours a day going through it. Like I'll, I'll get to it when I feel like it. And, and I feel like the remake is something that I'll watch one day because I'll get curious about it. Um, but I'm not in a rush, <laughs> if that's okay. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely appropriate. Yeah, so I mean, I'll get to it one day. Like, I definitely want to hear how the music was interpreted. The thing about the music is, and guys, I promise we're going to talk about the soundtrack, please. But no, we're not. We're just going to ramble on about how much we love this movie. I'm joking. <laughs> no, it's, we're going to do that too. <laughs> but um, we're going to do it all. But um, here's my thing about, you don't have a lot of leg room when you are remaking a musical. You, in, a, in a typical remake, you can change the story, you can change the characters, you can change the plot completely and the ending. But when it comes to a musical, the plot supports the song. And so uh, musical remakes are like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because on the one hand, Laverne Cox could have, sang Sweet Transvestite exactly like Tim did, and then everyone would have grilled her for not doing it her own way. On the contrary, she could have 180 would it, and they're like, oh, well, we like the Tim version better. Like, you can't win. No, there's no winning. Especially with something as, um, you know, something that's held on such a pedestal. Yes, I agree. So it's... I do appreciate their effort. Um... I did watch the Adam Lambert scene for research. <laughs> I figured you would. <laughs> and um, it, here's my thing. I think that one reason why the remake did not work is because of the lack of charm. When they filmed the Rocky Horror Picture Show, it was low budget, but we love it like that. Like it's, it's as imperfect as a human being itself. Yeah. And part of the joy of Rocky Horror is how you know that when you're watching that movie, 
you're watching something that they did not know would take off and have a life of its own the way it does. This movie took risks at a time when there was no other film like it. And now they try to remake it and it's overproduced. You know, they try to capitalize on the popularity and revamp something that is still very much alive. When you put spinners on a Cadillac, you're adding to something that was already perfect. Yes. And I equate the film to your favorite ma and pop restaurant. You know, that hole in the wall that you like to go to. For example, Maggiano's. Fancy Italian place in the Galleria area. Maggiano's is an option. The food is quality. The place is dimly lit and beautiful. And the waiters are in button-down shirts. But they don't know your name there. So you go to Kalina's or you go to Lasagna House where the food is also just as amazing. But everything is simple and homey, and you feel welcome as a guest. And the waiters don't talk to you like you're royalty. They talk to you like you're a friend. Yeah, they remember the stories you tell them. They ask you about your life. Completely agree with everything you said. Yeah, exactly. Like, they, they'll ask about your family. Like, they'll remember you. They'll treat you good. Like, and, and you know, th- those little mom-pop places, they may not have a lot of money to make the place fancy, but they don't need it. And that is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. In that same vein, <laughs> I do understand the concept of remakes. I know that they want to take a lazy route, and instead of creating new characters and stories, they take a character that is already familiar with the audience, they add pizzazz to the story as a way to introduce the characters to a new generation and because they don't want the younger audience to blow it off they don't want them to blow off like an old movie with crappy effects and in this case i'm thinking a lot of like horror films like friday the 13th or nightmare on elm street remakes yeah um but that's the thing about rocky horror it to me it didn't need to be remade for new generations because it transcends generations you know kids today will still watch the og rocky horror because that's the one their parents or their big sister or their big brother watched with them. And that's the one that, you know, they were introduced to. Um, No one, no one, no one, no one says, you need to see the Rocky Horror remake. You have to see it. Nobody says that. Nobody says that. (laughs) Unfortunately, guys, it's just, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And again, trying to just be so... You know, they tried. Thank you for your effort. They did. They did. They did. They did some really interesting new things. Um, but it, um, I don't know, maybe it was too soon. I agree. Um, and I do know they, you know, and they have had like 35th anniversary, 40th anniversary, like different little specials that they come out with, um, VH1 hosted like a karaoke special uh, that had different actors or famous people come up and play and they do have different specials where they host like different actors and actresses come on and you know get to play Rocky Horror and I can't tell you how exciting that must be because I get it as like that theater geek like I would love love to play magenta one day one day. I know it's not going to happen, but you know, that would be like my dream. And as much as I would love to play her, I feel like that would be in the back of my mind. Like I'm never 
ever going to be as good as Patricia Quinn playing Magenta. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, A for effort, guys. We appreciate what you're doing. We know that it's probably everyone's dream to play a role there, but um, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to touch something that, like you said, transcends generations and is just, it's perfect the way it is. Exactly. And um, shall we go into talking about this perfection? Yes, I think we're ready. (laughs) Awesome. So, guys, if you are still with us... (laughs) Today, uh, Soundtrack City is doing a very special episode on the soundtrack to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. If you are not familiar with this movie or if you have not seen it in a while, um, you may remember the cast. Uh, Quite some notable names here. We have Susan Sarandon playing Janet Weiss. We have Barry Boswick playing Brad Majors. The asshole. (laughs) The asshole. (laughs) Tim Curry plays Dr. Frankenfurter. Richard O'Brien plays Riff Raff. Patricia Quinn plays Magenta. Little Nell Campbell plays Columbia. Peter Hinwood plays Rocky Horror. Meatloaf plays Eddie. Jonathan Adams is Dr. Everett Scott. Suck my cock. And Carl <laughs> Gray is the criminologist. By the way, guys, I, in addition to my notes, I did write down dialogue from the film with audience participation lines inserted, so I'm going to randomly shout those out. I love it. <laughs> I love it. All right, so um, let's do some background on where the Rocky Horror Show came from. Okay, so um, as we mentioned, the Rocky Horror Picture Show actually was uh, originally a screenplay, a musical, um, with music lyrics and the book written by Richard O'Brien. And like Misa said, it is a parody because Richard was a huge science fiction and horror B movie fan and so he wanted to kind of poke fun but also pay homage to his love for these films. So he was also out of work and he kind of used that time to write his you know dream come true um, to keep himself busy and he was starring in some other show where he was talking to the um, director who he was working with, Jim Sharman, and he kind of like pitched his idea and Jim was like, this sounds really cool. And I mean, I'm sure he used different, you know, London, Australian lingo. Uh, you want to try it, Misa? What do you think Jim said? Um, that's the right bucket of worms, all right. I don't know. What, is it? what do Australians say? I don't even know. I just wanted to hear what you would say. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha. And so after, you know, they, they sat down and Jim was like, this is amazing. And he kind of helped him cast some other people, um, such as Nell Campbell. And he found, like, the scenic designer. And just, like, really encouraged him to go forth with this production. And um, it just kind of all fell into, like, the perfect place. And, you know, O'Brien happened to randomly run into Tim Curry because he was looking, kind of scouting for um, Frankenfurter's person to play him. And he went to a gym and came across Tim. And I uh, was watching, like, an old, old interview with him. 
And when you first see him, like, I can't even imagine me looking at him being like, oh my God, you'd be perfect for Frankenfurter. Cause he was so calm and like chill. And he spoke like very softly, like kind of like this. And then when you watch the movie and you're like, holy shit, Dr. Frankenfurter is like the complete opposite of what you are in real life, which I absolutely love. Um, so yeah, so that's how the idea kind of came about. And then they played on, um, the Royal Court Theater for, it was six weeks, Misa? Yeah, it didn't run for very long. And it's only, it only fit like 60 people inside. Yeah, really tiny. And, you know, at first they said that they were really nervous. And, you know, this was very different for the times, even though there was like Jesus Christ Superstar and hair, like, which were kind of edgy back then. Um, this was completely different from those. And so they weren't really sure if people were going to love it or hate it. And it it took off like they had to move to a bigger theater because people actually really enjoyed it and then it just so happened Lou Adler saw it and he immediately bought the American rights for it and then the next thing you know it came to LA yeah that's right it had a stint at the Roxy Theater off of Hollywood Boulevard yes yes for and, uh, uh, nine months right yeah nine months yeah, and this is this is the point where Meatloaf joined the cast. Yes. So he was he did not originate the role of Eddie, guys. Tim Curry did originate the role of Frankenfurter, like Frankie said. Uh, Richard O'Brien, uh, he wrote it, remember, but he also starred in there as Riff Raff. And then Misa was saying about um, Nell Campbell. Little Nell did originate the role of Columbia for the stage play, and Patricia Quinn originated the role of Magenta. But yeah, so so a lot of the core cast traveled to L.A. to bring the show to America. And this was uh, a lot of Americans' first exposure to it. Those who didn't travel overseas to see it got to see it at the Roxy. <laughs> yes, how fun. Um, yes, and the Roxy is actually still around, guys. Still a very active music club. And just to piggyback off of what Frankie was saying, so Richard O'Brien did write the music and the story. In an interview, he said, quote, I wanted to write a show that was just as exciting as a rock concert. And I think he accomplished that tenfold. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I also think it's amazing that Jim Sharman was the original director of the stage play and went on to direct the film. Yes, that's rare. Yes, exactly. It's so rare for someone like that to to follow a show. Like directors have lives of their own. They're always looking at the next big thing and the next big project. But you can tell that not only did Richard O'Brien have an amazing support system around him, but that Jim Sharman was willing to take a chance. Um, And that's, I think that their powers combined just created some really amazing things. Absolutely. Of course, it wasn't always called the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It was originally called They Came From Denton High. Mm-hmm. Yes, which um, is where the musical and film take place in Denton, Ohio, and uh, Jim helped him kind of change that name to something that was a bit more catchy. And intriguing, I think. Rocky Horror Picture Show, it's like a little bit of everything. (laughs) Yeah. When you hear it, you're like, oh, goodness, what is this? I don't know what to expect. 
<laughs> right. Oh, but just to clarify, guys, so we don't want to confuse you. When it was the production for stage and when it is on stage, it is the Rocky Horror Show. Mm-hmm. Only the film itself is called the Rocky Horror Picture Show because obviously it's a picture show. <laughs> it's a film. Yeah, it's a picture. But as far as the Rocky Horror Show, the stage production was nominated for three Tony Awards. It didn't win any, though. Like Misa said, I just want to let everyone know that the play itself has gone on from Broadway, but it's also been in like so many different countries. And like Misa said, it just transcends. It has an amazing legacy and it was revived on Broadway in 2000. Um, It's just, it's been compared to hair and it's been such an influence on other plays that have come. Um, it's just an, it's an amazing, an amazing experience. And I, I really hope that one day I get to see it on Broadway. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful for that. And I think that anyone who's gotten to see it, you're just, you're blessed. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to put that out there. (laughs) Definitely. Yes. Everything Frankie said is absolutely true. If you've seen a Broadway production of the Rocky Horror Show, just know that we are sitting here seething with jealousy. So, so much jealousy. Like, I'm (laughs) crying a little bit thinking about all you lucky bastards. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky sons of bitches. (laughs) Friends, friends here at Soundtrack City, Misa and I really tried to plan out to make sure (laughs) that we would have time to cover everything our hearts desired about Rocky Horror and I just want to thank you now for you know taking this long road trip with us (laughs) because we just can't shut up about this film yeah exactly like part of my concern when I was gathering all my thoughts and research was I know I'm forgetting something (laughs) yeah yeah I know I'm like I don't have enough I don't have enough (laughs) I need more It really does feel that way. But it's it's so fun at the same time to be researching this show because it's so rich in history. And it has such a a colorful cast of characters and quite a colorful list of actors who portrayed these characters on stage, which we'll get to later. Yes. But um, so as far as the transition from stage to film, it was only about a year and a half after the play began to be a thing that they decided like yeah we're gonna make a film so 20th century fox did offer jim Sharman a hefty budget but on the condition that they wanted him to cast musicians who were mm-hmm. well known at the time so frankenfurter might have been bruce springsteen and riffraff might have been billy like you know like my oh god i'm like <laughs> oh so like it would, not have been the same. <laughs> it would not have been the same and you know what even if they were relevant at the time, who's to say they would have been relevant 40 years later? And we would have been like looking at this movie like, who's that? I don't recognize right. him. What did he sing? Um, but everyone recognizes Meatloaf. Um, so, it's, uh, so that was the condition that they gave him. But Jim Sharman had already grown a relationship. It was very familial with the cast and crew in London. Um, and he really felt strongly about keeping the original cast. And so instead of going with the larger budget, which I'm sure would have been nice, he agreed to cast American actors, Susan Sarandon and Barry Bostwick, for Brad and Janet, mm-hmm. and was given a much more modest budget for filming. 
there was some switching as well. For example, in London, Jonathan Adams, who played Dr. Scott in the film, is actually the narrator slash, I mean, I guess you can call him the criminologist in the film, but uh, on play, he's the narrator. And so there was a bit of role switching in that case. At the same time, on the stage show, the actor who plays Dr. Scott also plays Eddie. Yeah. So that's also part of the humor. Um, And so Meatloaf did play both on the stage at the Roxy. And when they moved on to other American theaters, he was playing both. But for the film, obviously, they did split that role. So, guys, there are differences between the stage production and the movie, which is why we're dying to see it one day. Yeah. We encourage you to see it if you ever get the chance. Like, it'll be fun to spot the differences, but it'll still be really cool to see. I'm excited to one day see it. Um, I remember in theater, we we begged, begged our uh, theater teacher to let this be like our senior play and uh obviously didn't happen but you know i i understand why i guess not really appropriate for high school but whatever i digress you know what i felt the same way and my theater teacher was much more of a hard ass and so i knew that she would never touch this (laughs) film in a high school production but Every now and then, like, because we knew she did a musical every other year. And so our senior year fell on a musical year. And um, I remember in the back of my head, I was like, I know she's going to do a musical. Like, wouldn't it be cool if she did Rocky Horror? Mm -hmm. But of course, she went with Chicago, which I'm not complaining. I do love Chicago. Special place in my heart. It was fun. But Rocky Horror would have been a blast. For (laughs) sure. So not only am I jealous of people who have seen the stage production, I'm jealous of those who have been in the stage production because I, you know, if my director had just been a little more Lucy, then she <laughs> might have let us do it. But it's okay. Yes, agreed, agreed. And um, to kind of piggyback on what Misa was saying about some differences between the film and the original uh, stage production, there were some differences with some of the order of the songs. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, Time Warp wasn't, in the original, um, it was added as kind of a filler for the film, and thank God it was because it became its own entity. And then they also kind of shifted where it was in the order of um, I'm blanking out from my words. The uh, order, just the order, I guess, makes sense, right? Help me out here. It's been a long um, day. I'm sorry. It, it's okay. Um, Fix my sentence, Misa. I can't talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm rambling. Yes, Time Warp did definitely take a place of its own. (laughs) It's it's amazing to think that it wasn't in the show at some point. Right. Um, But yes, you are right. Uh, And there is some switching, guys. Um, In the stage production, now with Time Warp added, Time Warp would actually be the fifth song with Frankenfurter entering with the fourth song and Frankenfurter joins in on the Time Warp very different than the film and I can't imagine it that way yeah me either because because Frank's entrance slash exit is so epic I can't imagine him sticking around for a dance first you know right weird yeah (laughs) I feel like he's too good for that you know what I mean like yeah he's he's he's, he's above that (laughs) um and so like we said guys this was a film that was released 
September 26, 1975, and it did not do well at all. No, it, it kind of tanked. <laughs> it tanked big time. It was not until April Fool's Day, 1976, which was just a little under a year later, that the very first midnight showing with audience participation took place. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was at the Waverly Theater in New York, and mm-hmm. it began organically, really, uh, with a group of regulars who would frequent the theater. And then they just started reacting to the movie, a la a live audience, by booing and cheering and ad-libbing. And then it just became, uh, that, too, that too took on a life of its own to this day. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Sal. Yes, Sal Piero, the uh, fan club president. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. I mean, and he's been alive since forever, and he's literally been the president since 1976. Mm, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Craziness. Craziness. It's amazing. It's amazing. So it's it's great that there was a little group of fans back then that really did appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And and they they were they gave it a new life, you know, like when it tanked, when it bombed and it didn't get a lot of people's attention, the audience participation sure does. And to this day, that's exactly what draws a lot of people in when they're when they haven't been exposed to the movie before. Definitely. So it's that family, it's that family that keeps it alive. That is exactly right. And so guys, without further ado, again, <laughs> let's talk about the soundtrack to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Give me an R. <laughs> I love Give me an O. <laughs> Give me a C. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Okay. <laughs> Give me a Y. And so this is the part, if you're in the audience, this is where we start turning the reel and we're like, start the fucking movie. Start the fucking movie. Fuck the movie. Start the fucking. (laughs) Oh, and I can just imagine. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I imagined a 10-year-old Misa screaming this. (laughs) Oh, 10-year-old Misa screamed this. And that's why I'm dying. (laughs) That's why I'm dying. All right, guys, I know this is the moment you've all been waiting for, the reason you came, the reason we lured you in, and now we're going to talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show soundtrack. So excited. Super exciting. Uh, Before we move on, guys, I do want to just list a few of my sources. Uh, Frankie, you're welcome to jump into. Uh, Some of the sources that I used for my research include ultimateclassicrock.com, RockyHorror.com, IMDb, Wikipedia, Rocky Horror Wikipedia, The Rocky Horror Punk Rock Show, TheSecondDisc.com, RockyMusic.org, YouTube, Magic City Comic Con Interviews and Q&A, Movie Commentary, and People Magazine. Perfect. The only ones that I wanted to add that you didn't mention were Secondhand Songs, RockyHorror.Fandom, and um, I think you listed, um, the other one was Nerd Nation Magazine. Awesome. Cool. All right. So, a long, long time ago, in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away, God said, let there be lips. And there <laughs> were. And they were good. <laughs> and what do we see on screen, Frankie? We see the most amazing 
red lips with these awesome teeth start to sing one of my most favorite, favorite songs, Science Fiction Double Feature. So, science fiction double feature opens us up into the movie. Um, and what's unique about this, guys, is that you don't see any characters. You don't even see a full face. Um, so, these are actually Patricia Quinn's lips, who plays Magenta. And they, like, completely painted her whole face black and actually ended up having to put her face in a box so she wouldn't move so much while she was singing. Um, and she um, lip synced the words to this song. The voice we actually hear is Richard O'Brien, the writer and creator of Rocky Horror. Um, and this song is just riddled with all kinds of allusions and, you know, just name dropping of different sci-fi and those awesome horror, uh, B-side horror movies. Yes. So the, this is such a cool sequence. The production designer was a man named Brian Thompson, and he's actually the one who came up with the idea for using uh, the lips as the first set of imagery that you see when the film starts. And he was actually inspired by a painting by Man Ray called Two Lovers. And I'll post a photo of it on the blog for you guys in case you haven't seen it. But it's basically a, it looks very abstract, um, very clock melting type atmosphere. Oh, totally. Like very avant-garde. Yeah, exactly. And there's just this big, beautiful set of red lips, just kind of like, not necessarily smiling, but I think there's a bit of a smirk and it's just sitting up in the sky. And it's a really, like, kind of beautiful, kind of weird imagery. And so the opening of this movie kind of emulates that imagery. And I think they did an amazing job. Like, I, Patricia Quinn's lips are so iconic now because of this opening. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I do. Like, I mean, her lips are everywhere. They're on her shirts. You know, they're on all the earrings, all the jewelry, all the different things that you buy. Like, those lips are iconic. Actually, those aren't her lips. On, um, well, no, you are correct. On some of them, they aren't. They use the model, and I just forgot her name. Who was the model who did it? Her name was Lorelai Shark, and she was paid 120 bucks. Thank you, yes. Now, I was reading, though, that they did use Patricia's on some merchandise, but they used Lorelai's on the posters and on some of the newer um, merchandise and things like that. They went back to her list. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So um, when you see like the like the one on your shirt where she's kind of biting. Yes, that's Lorelai, correct? That's Lorelai. Okay. Yes, that's Lorelai. Okay, that classic one that Misa did so amazing. In <laughs> picture. I noticed, oh I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> it was subtle. I tried and I'm wearing my Rocky Horror makeup in that. Are you? Oh, I love it. Yes, so Frankie is correct. At first, they were using images of Patricia Quinn's lips for promos, but then they brought in the model, Lorelai Shark. And so she did the lip modeling for the promo posters, movie posters, shirts, advertising. Chances are, if someone has a Rocky Horror right. lip tattoo, it's Lorelai's set of lips. 
And then, like Frankie said, she was also a model. And eventually, like, you know, she did do modeling with her whole face, too. Um, <laughs> more pretty than just her lips? <laughs> Actually, I don't know for sure. I didn't want to ruin oh. the, uh, the image of just her lips, so I didn't look her up. I was like, this is going to be you forever. This is, it's just that. I love it. <laughs> we don't need anything else, just your lips. <laughs> And so I did want to throw out, guys, um, so the entire soundtrack is performed by the same group of people. Every song is performed by the same set of musicians, and they are Count Ian Blair on electric and acoustic guitar, Mick Grebham from the English rock band Procol Harum, and he plays electric guitar. Then we have Dave Winter, who plays bass guitar. We have BJ Wilson, also from the same band, and he's on drums. We have Phil Kenzie on saxophone, John Bundrick, who was born in Houston, <laughs> and uh, who is likely best known for his work with The Who, Bob Marley, and Roger Waters. He plays keyboard for the soundtrack, and he's actually still active. Oh, cool. Very cool. And then we have our backing vocals, um, a group of three, Abigail Haness, Susan Morse, and Bruce Scott. Just want to cover that for now. For So when we go on to future songs, you'll know those musicians are essentially universal to this movie because they played on every single track. <laughs> Perfect. Science fiction. Let's go back to the inspiration. Again, I know we touched on this last time about how Richard even came about to write this amazing musical. Um, but like I said, like this song is just, it's very straightforward with his love for science fiction. Right, Misa? Yes, literally, guys, and I know most of you know this song by heart, but for those of you who may not be as familiar, pretty much every line of this song includes a movie reference, a movie title, the name of an actor or actress, or the allusion to a scene in one of the films. Yes. Um, I mean, obviously, The Day the Earth Stood Still, we have um, Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon's trip to Mars. Um, he talked about, what are some of the other movies, The Invisible Man, um, King Kong. Frankie mentioned King Kong. We also have, it came from outer space, Dr. X, Forbidden Planet, Tarantula, exclamation point. <laughs> um, the Day of the Triffids and When Worlds Collide. To the late night. Double feature, picture show. So this song is just so iconic that it has been covered a couple of times. And remember, we did mention, and I don't want to keep restating this, so I'm going to say it just on the first song and then just lock that into your memory, guys. Because this song was in the original musical and then put into the movie, technically all of these songs are covers. So when I did do research on some of the different covers, it of course says like Patricia Quinn originally sang it, but she also covered it again in other instances. So if you hear me be a little bit redundant, it's not because I forgot. It's just because I want to be thorough. Okay. Okay. Forgive me ahead of time. So um, we do have um, Me First and the Gimme Gimme's, which I know Misa has that. Uh, Love correct. that cover. Yes, um, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts covered it. Um, and then, of course, they did, we talked about this also, some of the different um, 
like the Rocky Horror, Let's Do the Time Warp Again. There's also a Glee version, so the Glee cast did it. So the VH1 25th anniversary was a little bit unique, though. So they don't technically call it a cover, but I did want to mention it. Um, it was a actual like live karaoke session. Like all the audience got to participate. They had, um, of course, some like famous people such as Ashton Kutcher who played the chronologist, and um, the person who played Rocky Horror was none other than um, Matt from Will and Grace. And so that was super cute. I don't know if you actually seen. That. Have you seen that one, right, Nisa? The VH1 karaoke special? Yes. Uh, it, it's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> like, I remember you sent me a screenshot of it because you were rewatching it. I did. I rewatched it because I was, I was like, you know what? Let me just, like, watch all of these because I need to make sure that I'm thorough. And here I am still forgetting stuff. So sorry. <laughs> um, the Jew Phillips, I knew. Sorry. It, I knew it would come to me. Um. So um, Bijou Phillips actually sang part of science fiction as well as Jesse L. Martin, who did, Jesse was phenomenal. Bijou was pitchy, but Jesse was amazing. So I wanted to include those in there. But yeah, so this song has been obviously covered by a lot of other people because it is a musical that's put on, you know, regularly. So, mm -hmm. Um, so in addition to some of those, I did manage to find a few more. So, of course, uh, like you said, since it this has technically been remade multiple times, I did find a lot of, like, like I found, I hope I'm saying her name right, Ivy Levin from the Let's Do the Time Warp Again remake. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so she's, she covered it, obviously. So she's the one who does the opening vocals. Then the Misfits covered it in 2003. Um, and then mm -hmm. I also managed to find um, some cast recordings too, which I know, I mean, they are covers, but then they're also their own unique performances. But I went ahead and threw them in because they are songs that you can find on Spotify or Google Play or iTunes or whatever so you use. Cool. So uh, if you check out the 1974 original Roxy cast, you'll hear Jamie Donnelly sing science fiction double feature. The Polyphonic Spree covered. Oh, my God. <laughs> they really? They, sure, they actually did multiple songs from the soundtrack for their live album on Halloween 2012. That's crazy. I can't wait to hear that. The blog is going to Amazing. <laughs> and then we also had the SoCal Rocket Dynamics, who covered it on their 2014 album. We have Daphne Rubin Vega, who was on the new Broadway cast in 2000. Penny Whiskey on the 2018 album Free Booze, and that's with O O O O S. <laughs> oh, how cute. <laughs> and then uh, this was actually kind of cool. And this is actually what I have been looping for the past week now. We've mentioned before that Rockabye Baby does lullaby versions of artists and songs and stuff. I found, I guess, a rival uh, to Rockabye Baby called Twinkle Twinkle Little Rockstar. <laughs> okay. And they did an entire Rocky Horror album in 2011. Okay, that's really cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Actually, they also did a Guardians of the Galaxy album, and I've been listening to that, too. Oh, okay. Well, here we go, Twinkle Twinkle. About to be your biggest mm -hmm. fan. 
I'll send you links. (laughs) Hell yeah. And then actually there's just one, I'm going to go ahead and mention it now, even though it's a medley of multiple songs that we're going to cover. There is a group that I, I don't know if, I don't know what you'll find if you Google them, but their name is David and Roxana. And they released a single in 1985 called The Rocky Horror Disco Show, which is a mesh of the songs Science Fiction Double Feature, Time Warp, Sweet Transvestite, Hot Patootie, Touch a Touch a Touch Me, and Rose Tent My World. How fun. We mentioned earlier that Patricia Quinn did originate the role of Magenta. But uh, for the play, the opening song is typically performed by a character named Trixie, who is, she's kind of like the concessions girl, and she's walking into the theater, and she's, she's singing this song, and she's also kind of introducing you to the events that are, that you're in store for, essentially. And she has like her little concession uh, box thing that she wears around her neck. Right. It says like strawberry time. Like it's usually like really cute, very of that era. Yes, exactly. And she, they call her Trixie. And um, so when this was a play in London and all the subsequent productions of the play, um, Patricia Quinn did do this opening number as Trixie. And then when she was approached for the film, she was informed that she would not be doing the singing for the song. And so she immediately assumed that they were going to bring in a, quote, real singer, kind of like they do the James Bond mm-hmm. films. And she told them to fuck right off. <laughs> so they insisted on uh, showing her the set designs and the costumes that they already kind of had starting to set up for the movie. As soon as she saw exactly what they had in mind, she signed up. She was like, okay, I'm in. I have to do this. And uh, it wasn't actually until later that she and Tim Curry and Richard O'Brien were in a car together that Mm -hmm. Richard told her, like, oh, I'm going to be the one singing the song. And she said she wanted to kill him, (laughs) which I think is understandable. Yes, because she fell in love with that song. And I love that um, that interview. Oh, my gosh. When you see her talking about it, like, she's so filled with personality. I would have loved, like, to meet her. I still would love to meet her, but, like, in her prime, I guess. She seems just hilarious and full of life. Met her twice, can confirm. She is super fucking sweet and hilarious. <gasps> so jealous. <laughs> so jealous. You knew this, but me and Martha, we That's drove the, um, where do we drive? Well, I knew you met her once, but I didn't know it was twice. Oh, hell yeah. The first time I met Patricia Quinn was Comic Palooza 2015. I was working as a photographer for one of the booths um, because I was working with the company that brought in Rowdy Roddy Piper, Ron Simmons, The Godfather, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Ted DiBiase, and a few other Mm -hmm. old school guys. Um, super amazing people, professionals all the way. And so while I had some downtime, I managed to like slip out to the, the next line of booths. And there was Patricia Quinn right between Nell Campbell and Barry Bostwick. <laughs> and, uh, she was incredible. So jealous. She was so sweet. <laughs> she was so sweet. She like, as soon as she meets you, she just starts talking to you like you're an old friend. She hugs you up into her arms. She gives the best hugs. She has the biggest smile, literally the biggest personality. And she's just, she's so sweet. She she treats you like she's known you all her life. 
There's like no movie star, no diva about her at all. Yeah, Patricia just seems so down to earth, so sweet in her interview. Um, I mean, she's just, and she's hilarious. Oh, yeah. She's fucking so funny. Like, I remember when I was talking to her handler, I was like, how is it working with her? And she was like, she's great. She's so funny. She has all these amazing stories. <laughs> Jealous. That is Awesome. And of course, the lovely Nell Campbell. She's just so flawless, amazing. So jealous. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Nisa. I'm, I'm literally like seething with joy. Like, I'm, I'm so jealous that you got to meet her twice. Not once, but twice. Throw that in my face. <laughs> Next time she does a convention, you got to do it. Oh, please. <laughs> Uh, yeah, masks and all. I think we should wear, like, masks that have lips on them. That would be so We can find cute. her lips and put them on there. <laughs> right? Isn't that adorable? Okay, we're doing it. It's a thing. I love that idea. Hell yeah. Hopefully, though, by the time we meet her, we won't need masks, but we should still wear them anyway. Because, I mean, it's cute, so. <laughs> we go from that amazing song right into the very first scene, um, for the actual movie and we open up and we see like a really kind of very small um you know simple church we see a wedding going on and um we see a bunch of people and we realize that they're um this is when we meet brad and janet and they're at a wedding for their friends we hear betty and ralph and um, they're getting ready to throw the bouquet. So obviously this is like a really short wedding, which is something I do want to mention. I always thought was really odd. And I don't know if that's just how weddings were done back at that time. Um, because, you know, we're used to weddings. And I know Misa can, you know, kind of account for this, that you have like your um, actual ceremony and then you do like a little cocktail hour or a little like mini reception appetizer type thing while they take pictures and like it's just more drawn out now so I don't know if weddings were shorter because it's, it's quite evident like they just had their wedding and then it's like they're outside they're throwing the bouquet and then everyone kind of disperses yeah right yeah you're right and um <laughs> I don't want to put my my hat on but as a wedding photographer I can tell you that there were not enough pictures taken <laughs> I love it. Yes, I love it. I love it. You're so funny. But yeah, you're right. Like right? Uh, they, so they basically they get married. We the movie opens. They're they're all coming out of the church and everybody's celebrating and throwing like rice or confetti yeah. or something. Yeah. And uh, basically, like they take one big family picture and then Betty and Ralph get into the car. And this is I thought was weird. The driver drives up in the car, gets out. Ralph takes the driver's seat. Betty gets in the passenger seat. And then they leave. Well, like, well, who's going to take their driver home? I love that that's what you're worried about. <laughs> or your thought. Well, he just took off. <laughs> He's going to have to walk home. Yeah, nobody else. Did you see another car in that scene? <laughs> okay, no, you're absolutely right. There's only that one car. And um, you're right. But maybe they rode with someone else. Or maybe they're actually like church staff. I hope so. I felt bad for that guy. <laughs> He just like, if you watch him, he just gets out of the car, he walks around it, and he disappears into the crowd, and you never see him again. You're absolutely right. And then there's like, I don't know, it's 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 kind of an awkward little wedding, um, and, you know, Ralph and Brad are like, you know, he awkwardly 
punches him in the shoulder and like you know <laughs> that's the whole reason I went to that class is where they met and um then Betty with her annoying ass voice I'm just gonna throw that in there really quickly she has one line <laughs> And uh, I'm sure Misa's better at imitating her. You wanna, you wanna go, Misa? I'll give it a shot. I don't know. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> oh my God! I <laughs> never thought that in millions I'd be doing an impression of Betty Monroe. <laughs> but I'll try. She basically like, like Brad and Brad and Ralph are talking, and then we hear Betty. She's like, "Okay, guys, this is it. Are you ready?" <laughs> And then, the, oh, Betty's about to throw the bouquet. And then everyone gathers behind her. And guess who catches it, guys? Janet. Janet, of course. And um, as she's holding the bouquet, like Misa said, that is when they get in the car and they drive away. And it says on the side, wait till tonight. She got hers. Now he'll get his. Um, which of course those are things like Misa and I were talking about I didn't catch on until I was older I was just like it just kind of like blew over my head and then later I was like oh that's what that meant so you know those little things that we don't catch Um, and another really fun fact that I like about um, the way this movie was shot is that they did use that same core cast and Um, so Richard O'Brien, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to use their actual character names, Riff Raff, Magenta, Columbia. They're actually like the main people, I guess, like the priest who marry them and you see them in the background. And then we're also foreshadowed kind of, um, the phantoms is what they call them in the actual script or in the play or the people who are following Rocky Horror at the, um, the convention. And I just blanked out on their name. Sorry, what do they actually call them? Yes, that's right. In in the play, they are called the Phantoms. In the film, they're called Transylvanians. Yes, thank you. From this point, you know, they're kind of awkwardly walking, and um, Brad begins by saying that he has something to tell Janet. Say it, asshole. I knew you were going to. I really love the skillful way you beat the other girl. With whips and chains. The bride's bouquet. <laughs> and Janet's like she literally is like oh like that's the sweetest thing he's ever said to her and I'm like you're this is ridiculous <laughs> Janet I've one thing to say and that's damn it Janet I love you the road was long but I ran it but he goes on to talk about how He's in love with her, and I I love this song because it's actually, like, one of the sweeter songs, even though it's very um, cheesy. I mean, it's cheesy, um, but it's just, it's super cute, and they're walking around the church, which happens to be next to, like, a graveyard, and then there's also this random billboard sign um, in the background, um, and so there's just, it's just really this cute little scene and they um get engaged he proposes to her and she's so excited because her ring is prettier than Betty's from the wedding they just attended and as they're singing again we hear Riff Raff and Magenta and Columbia they're in the background kind of cleaning up the church and they're singing the harmonies and the background vocals um and then the song foreshadows where they're going to go next and they're actually going to go to um Dr. Scott who's the pastor the professor who introduced them they fell 
in love in his science class. You know, they had more chemistry. <laughs> um, yuck, yuck. And so uh, they decided, I, I, I always thought that was weird too. Like, why the hell would you go see your professor? Like, you just got engaged. And now you know what we have to do. We got to go see him. It's kind of like when you go see your parents or something. Thank you. I agree. I always thought like, right? okay, because obviously there are phones in this universe. He stops by the mansion to try to make a phone call. Why can't you just call the doctor? Exactly. Like, why don't they just call and be like, hey, we're engaged. You know what I mean? I don't know. I thought it was really weird. I agree. And I have some theories, which I'll get into later. Okay, perfect. So this song um, is, it's its one of my favorites just because I do feel like it's one of the sweeter moments. Um, it, it does very much show us how kind of naive and innocent, um, almost kind of like how basic Brad and Janet are, right? I definitely, yeah, this, this song is kind of a testament to their very vanilla relationship like Janet is a very like simple girl very wholesome and Brad is a stand-up guy and you know he wants to do things right and so Mm -hmm. it so I mean yes it is a really sweet song I agree I think it's the most adorable duet and Barry and Susan work really well off of each other yeah but Yes, this does kind of paint them as the squares, so to speak. Um, so it does give us a really good idea of like the characters that we are mm-hmm. going to basically go on this journey with. Now we're engaged and I'm so glad that you met mom and you know dad. One thing to say and that's bad. I'm mad for you It foreshadows and it kind of sets us for the tone, like I said, of the the characters the main characters um and it's also I mean there is a little moment though where I'm like now wait a second like who says like damn it Janet I love you like as vanilla as they are while this song is kind of the more wholesome more heartfelt moments um I do think that by him saying like damn it Janet I love you like when you first think of a, of a vanilla or a more naive, like you wouldn't think of them saying what would be considered a curse word back then or, you know, a, a more vulgar word, if you will. Um, so I do feel like Richard was genius for putting the song up at the front because you get to see kind of their very basic personalities, but it gives us a little glimpse, like there is a little bit more underneath, but they just don't quite know how to release it if that makes sense makes perfect sense and I feel like you truly get to see like those different sides to their characters as the movie progresses because I mean when you get further in you see a little bit more of Janet and you see a little bit more of Brad for who they really are deep down at their core um so again this is another reason why I love this song um and one of the things that I always loved as I rewatched it more and more, you see Riff Raff, Magenta, and Columbia like turn the wedding vases around and the flowers are now like black and then they bring in like a casket where they got, you know, where they just got married at the altar. So I just always thought that was really funny too. 
and I know that's really random. It's it's a hilarious like background sight gag for what is supposed to be this really adorable scene where these two cute characters get engaged, and it's like, oh, here's this tiny casket that probably has a child inside, and oh right. yeah, let's switch the flowers. Like it's it's funny when you notice those little things. The church is literally transitioning from like a wedding setting to a funeral setting in the middle yes. of this awesome duet. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one who caught on that, but it doesn't surprise me that you did. <laughs> okay, um, and so in the movie, of course, um, it Brad and Janet are played by Barry Boswick and Susan Sarandon, but in the very original um, musical that was put on in 1973, it was Julie Covington and Belinda Sinclair who played Janet, and Christopher Malcolm played Brad Majors. And then it went on to Broadway in 1975, and Abigail Hanus, and I hope I'm saying her name correctly, it might be Hanes, I apologize if I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, um, Bill, and I know I said syllable wrong, guys, it's a joke, <laughs> <laughs> um, Bill Miller paid, played Brad Majors, and, and then there was a couple of other of those Broadway and kind of anniversary shows. And so I just wanted to include those as well. Um, so people who have played Janet and who have, of course, sang the song because of that are Alice Ripley, Leah Michelle from Glee, Haley Slaughterty, I don't know if I said that right either, uh, Victoria Justice, and Bruna Grin. Um, and people who have played Brad are Jared Ernick, Matthew Morrison, Ben Forster, Ryan McCartan, and Philippe de Paralosis. And I don't know if I said that right either. I apologize. I'm not great at names. Um, so yeah, these are just some of the people who have covered it as far as like movies and Broadway and maybe some of those anniversaries. And on your CD, Misa, for the Rocky Horror Punk show, I believe it is uh, Love Equals Death covers the song. Have it in front of me. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Love equals death. Perfect. Let me look at the inside really fast. Well, because um, oh, I almost dropped it. Um, the Rocky Horror Punk Rock Show was a compilation, so it wasn't necessarily like a cohesive album that everyone made together. Mm -hmm. This was more like some of them recorded it during soundcheck. Mm -hmm. Some of them already had it on an album previously. Some of them recorded it just for the sake of this album. But yes, you're right. On the Rocky Horror Punk Rock Show, Love Equals Death does cover Damn It, Janet. And the guest vocals are Katie Floyd from the band Tron. Oh, I see. Um, and um, I do want to say just a little like fun fact tidbit that I did find. Um, Barry says that it doesn't matter what other plays, what other character he has done. People always want him to say, damn it, Janet, I love you. <laughs> I love it. And that. I think that's just the cutest <laughs> thing ever. So, so yeah, that is the amazing um, second song that comes on in Rocky Horror Picture Show. This is when we're introduced to the criminologist who does, um, he does play that narrator role. And he kind of sets the tone and gives us a little bit of information about how Brad and Janet are that innocent little couple and they find themselves like lost. They had no idea what was going to happen. You know, it sets that very kind of like dramatic tone, right? Like, wouldn't when, when you agree, Misa? Kind of like overly dramatic almost? 
which I think is hilarious. Yes, yes. It's it's the very it's that unintentional humor that Richard O'Brien wanted to include because that's part of what he loved about these B horror films and sci-fi films. It's like sometimes they took themselves too seriously, sometimes the dialogue was just really campy and cheesy. Yeah. And he he knows that they were supposed to be like you know, disastrous films about alien invasions and, and serial killers with, you know, invisibility powers. But he also found that a lot of them were very unintentionally funny. Mm-hmm. And so he incorporated a lot of that. And I think a lot of that comes out in The Criminologist, who, by the way, is played by Charles Gray. Yeah. Yes, you are correct. So the uh, criminologist sets us up and kind of lets us know, like I said, he plays that kind of like... Um, all-knowing omniscient narrator and he can see like all the sides he knows what's going to happen we see that there's some files with their pictures there and then straight from him talking we go into brad and janet in their um like station wagon you know super popular car back in the 70s and they're driving it's raining very bad it's dark outside and as they're driving um they see like motorcycles driving by, they comment about it, and then they get a flat tire. And of course, you know, movie luck, they don't have a spare. And this is a time when, you know, we didn't have cell phones. So Brad's like, you know, I, I saw a house back there, I'm going to walk. And Jane is like, well, I'm coming with you. And he's like, you know, there's no sense in both of us getting wet. And she's like, no, I'm coming with you. And that's final. Sides, there could be some. The owner of that house could be some gorgeous woman, and you may never come back to me. And he uh, makes a little chuckle, you know, super annoying, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I love that dialogue because it's like when you're in the audience, she's like, Besides, darling, the owner of that house might be a beautiful woman. He is, and you may never come back again. You should be so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. It's hilarious. So they get out and Janet puts the newspaper over her head and follows Brad and they start walking back. And as they're walking, we are introduced to probably, if I'm honest, this is probably one of like my, my top, 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 like most favorite. Like I could listen to this song over and over again. And that is the Ober at the Frankenstein Place. This is just, it's, it's a beautiful song to me. Um, and it's, I don't, I don't even have the words to describe it. I'm, I'm drawing a blank because it's just, it's so pretty to me. And it's, it's almost like that beacon of hope song um, because they're talking about how it's really dark outside. Um, it's, super black and they're looking for that burning bright that guiding star to kind of lead them somewhere um but I feel like it's deeper than that and as they're singing they look for the light over at the Frankenstein place but I feel like again this is almost a a double meaning like they're looking for their true selves and their life has been kind of just like meh, like darkness, not really fulfilled. And there's like this 
light, like this future that awaits them that they don't even know about yet. And I know that's kind of like way out there, but that's how this song makes me feel when I listen to it. And I don't know if you agree, Misa, or have any other theories. I do agree. I know we talked briefly about this song a few days ago, but to go Mm -hmm. ahead and piggyback off of what you're saying, like, I do think that it can be, of course, in the context of the film, like Frankie said, they are just kind of wandering in the dark and it's raining and, you know, she has a newspaper instead of an umbrella. So they're getting soaked. And she, Mm -hmm. yeah, so the lyrics are basically saying that they're in the dark and they just want to find a light to guide them somewhere. And metaphorically speaking, I do think that it is very much so like a dual meaning song. Like if you take it out of context, if you listen to it without the movie and without the rest of the soundtrack, it really can be that hopefulness that someone needs to hear. Um, when they talk about how they want to emerge from the darkness and find the light, it reminds me a lot of, and I'm going to get philosophical here, the allegory of the cave. And I know some people may be familiar with that story about how people lived in the cave and they thought that the world was literally made of shadows, but then they eventually Mm -hmm. left the cave and they found out that, you know, shadows were actually 3D and shadows had color. And so that's kind of this moment in a way for Brad and Janet. We've met them and we we kind of know them by now, but now this is kind of that complicating incident, that point of no return in the story. This is the rising action where they thought they knew who they were, but they're just about to find out. Exactly. Beautifully said. Um, it just, it's such, it, and to me, like I said, it's not really like that heartfelt song like Damn It Janet is, but it's just such a beautiful and deeper song. And I think that's why the song has just always been one of my favorites. Um, so yeah, and I know that one of my actual, I'm just going to jump into my covers. One of my actual favorite covers is O'Brien. Um, saying this on the VH1's Behind the Music special for Rocky Horror and he did like an acoustic version of him singing it and it was just it gave me chills um, I just I loved it so much and Riff Raff the character he plays does have a verse that he sings Darkness must go down the river of night and I know when I was doing some research, there was some debate whether he's actually looking out the window and seeing Brad and Janet, or if he's kind of looking past them as he's seeing. I don't know if you have, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I actually never really thought about like who or where he was looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, it, of course, it does make sense that he would spot Brad and Janet outside because then he's obviously the one who does answer the door. Um, but I think that's up to interpretation. I think that whatever you think he's looking at is exactly what he's looking at. Um, but I love Riff Raff's verse because he's got this, would you say falsetto voice? Definitely. Definitely okay. falsetto. I love Riff Raff's verse in this because it's it's such a contrast. Not only is it vocally a contrast from 
Barry and Susan, but also I love his verse. I love his lyrics, the lyrics of his verse. Um, and <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the showing is like when he starts, he starts ending his verse and he starts slowly like lowering down to the bottom of the window. Yeah. We're just like, I'm melting. I'm melting. Oh, what a world. <laughs> I love that you said that. That's so cute. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this song is just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful in the scene, especially like I said, with all the rain and everything. And they sing the song as they're walking up towards the castle. Um, and like Misa said, it is kind of open for interpretation. Riff Raff does have his verse. He looks out the window. It's unsure of if he's actually seeing Brad and Janet or just kind of like singing off to kind of like an aside, um, if you will. Um, which is a theater term for, I forgot how to explain like what an aside is, Misa. <laughs> an aside, I guess it's something where like, where the person speaking, they're not really speaking to anyone in particular. They might just kind of be speaking to themselves. Um, kind of like talking to yourself, I guess. Kind like, of like that. Yeah. Like yeah. basically like a, I guess a soliloquy kind of. I don't know okay. why I'm using the right word. <laughs> all these big words getting philosophical up in here with Rocky Horror. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so, yeah, they stop singing as they get to the entrance of the house and they ring the doorbell. Um, and this song has been covered by a couple more people, not just by the amazing Richard O'Brien who wrote it. Um, again, originally, I'm not going to repeat all those names since it is Janet and Brad's characters who sings this song, those characters are the same that I mentioned from the Damn It Janet. Um, the riffraff part, Richard O'Brien did originate the character, and he also did the Broadway version and the film. So he sang it for all three of those. In the Broadway revival, it was Raul Esperanza. Fuck uh, yeah, Barba. <laughs> yes, I know. When I read that, I was like, I was like, oh my God, this is why. <laughs> Um, in the uh, 35th anniversary, it was Lucas Grabeel. The 40th anniversary was Christian Laver Lavercombe. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering these names. For the um, the Rocky Horror, let's do the time warp again. It was Reeve Carney. And then this one was actually not sung in the karaoke version that I mentioned earlier. So they did leave a couple of those songs out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been covered. There are a couple of other people who have covered this song as well um, from, you know, just covering it on CDs. The ones that there were some names that I, I didn't know who those people were, but I'm just going to go ahead and mention them. Um, John Collingwood Smith, Jenny Anderson and Sal Sahar, uh, Cheryl Baker, Steve Butler and Nick Curtis. The Emma Peel Advocates, Alkaline Trio covered it on the punk version, um, a group named Electric Frankenstein, and then, of course, the Glee cast when they did their Glee version of Rocky Horror. So, yeah, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, this is a great song. It really is. And I know Misa said that, like, at first, it may not be um, a song that, like, you immediately, I guess, fall in love with, but maybe as you get older, which I know is what you mentioned, right, Misa? Yeah, because um, what we did, guys, was when we when we decided to cover the soundtrack, we split the soundtrack between the two of us. And 
Frankie, this was very high up. If I'm not mistaken, this was your number one on your yes, list. Yes, it is my number yeah. one. Mm-hmm. So uh, we we talked briefly about the songs that we chose and why we chose them. And and one thing that I, I realized was when I was listening to the soundtrack and I was, I was assessing which ones I wanted to cover, I, I came across, obviously, over at the Frankenstein Place. And while it is a beautiful song, it, it wasn't necessarily one of my top, but after I listened to it a few times and I let the album loop while I was listening to them with an objective ear, I was like, wow, like this song is one of those songs that you'll really appreciate when you really need to hear it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we all have our tough times. We all have our shitty days, shitty months, or in this case, shitty 2020. <laughs> shitty 2020. <laughs> but um, much like in the song says, much like what Brad and Janet find, there will be that light at the end of the tunnel. Like this song can take on such a comforting meaning to you if you really sit down and absorb the lyrics and and let the music in. And it, you know, it's really one of those reminders that like it is going to be okay. There is hope. It might be hard to see in the dark, but it's there. Beautifully said. It to me, it is an emotional song. Um, and it is, it, and it really just depending on where you are in your life. And I mean, I think it speaks volumes that it's, it's literally always been one of my favorites. So great choice. Thank you, love. Beautiful choice. So as they get to the house, Misa, they knock and who else opens the door but Riff Raff. And this is, again, one of those very like humorous, but like dry humor lines, you know, Brad with his like good old boy American self. Uh, hi there, I'm Brad Major. Then like talks about his car and whatnot. And Riff Raff is just like, you're wet. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, yes, it's raining. And, and she the- looks at Brad like, what the fuck? <laughs> yes. She said the face that she looks at him with. I'm like, she's looking at him like, this is what is. It? what is he on? (laughs) It's hilarious. Um, And so then there's a like crash of lightning and they see all those motorcycles that they had talked about earlier. Um, So Riff Raff says, you know, perhaps you better come inside. They do. And Janet's kind of like, oh, you're too kind. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just that whole little scene is just quite comical to me. So they come inside and um, they immediately hear like music and, you know, the um, interior is not what you would, I guess, say traditionally decorated. Not at all. <laughs> and uh, so obviously they take notice to that. Um, and it's just very, very out of their comfort zone. Um, so as they are talking, Janet's kind of like, I don't even know like what kind of place this is. You can tell she's obviously frightened because poor girl has never done anything in her life. And so this little, um, what Brad calls a hunting lodge for rich weirdos is like terrifying her beyond belief, which I always thought was really weird too, that I'm like, Janet, did you live in a bubble? Like that you're, you're scared of you know, the, the maroon, not maroon, but like the deep red walls or something. <laughs> yeah. Evidently, uh, this, uh, Frankenstein place is really not vibing with Janet's, uh, interior design ideas. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> yeah, she, she doesn't, because it does kind of look, this is kind of an um, old mansion. It looks kind of dusty. There's probably cobwebs, and everything's very dark. The interior's dark, the furniture, the walls. It doesn't look like your typical, like, I guess, um, leave it to beaver <laughs> uh, mansion, if you will. I love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke kind of decorated houses, if you will. Yeah, it's very different. So she's so Janet's really taken aback by it. And she's like, are you having a party? No, it's my sister's bar mitzvah. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, this is when Riff Raff is like, no, it's one of the master's affairs. And she's like, oh, which one? <laughs> That's the audience. That's the audience. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> she's I love like, that those are like secondhand to you. Oh, I can't. I can't watch the movie without like saying these things out loud <laughs> I, I just can't. want to say that there's a reason why Misa loves that and that's because I really feel like she has like a heckler soul right. I do have a heckler soul I love giving people shit you remember me at the rodeo you guys should see me at wrestling shows you guys should come okay. with me to wrestling shows let's do it <laughs> where were we um we're about to meet Magenta <gasps> We are about to meet Magenta. How lucky. You're lucky. He's lucky. I'm lucky. We're all lucky. The banister's lucky. lucky. Fuck yeah, the banister. (laughs) As she slides down the banister with a leg on either side. Yes. (laughs) And this is when we are probably introduced to the most iconic song from the entire movie, if you will. Magenta tosses a, a duster to Riff Raff. He catches it and he walks over to this beautiful, kind of morbid grandfather clock. It's kind of covered with cobwebs. And there's a skeleton inside, guys. And he simply dusts the outside real quick. The grandfather clock opens and we queue up the time warp. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. Yes, this song um, is the fourth in the film. I do want to quickly mention that it actually was the fifth in the original space show, but they did kind of move things around for production. Um, and it originally, like way, way, way back in the day, actually wasn't in the original stage show, correct? Yeah, that's right. It was added as kind of a time filler, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, which is how appropriate, because it's the time warp. It's a time filler. You get it? Ha ha. Uh, we got jokes. We got them. All night, I'm here. I'm here all night, guys. <laughs> so this song is uh, it's sung by several of our characters. Um, Riff Raff does start it off, um, and then Magenta has a verse, as well as Columbia which is the first time that we're introduced to Columbia in this film. Um, And then after Columbia's, we get like a tap dance. We also get lots and lots of audience participation. And this is when we see all of the Transylvanians or in the original production, it was the Phantoms. And we also get the criminologist who jumps in and does the choreography for this song. That's right. He has a chart and everything. He teaches us how to do the time warp, guys. It's just a jump to the left. With your hands on your hips. You're bringing me some time. 
it is just a jump to the left and then a step to the right. You put your hands on your hips. <laughs> and then you bring your knees in tight. But it's the pelvic thrust. Oh, that really drives the people insane. <laughs> This is like, it's just, it's such a fun song. And it does, again, how Misa mentioned it was a parody. This really was a parody when uh, Richard wrote it to the songs that have those song, um, the lyrics that explain how to do like the electric slide or, you know, um, another one was the boogie woogie. Mm -hmm. Boogie woogie wonderland, I think is what it's actually called. Um, so he was poking fun at those songs, but he did it so brilliantly and he had no idea that this song was going to take off the way that it did. Yeah, which again, back to what you were saying before, is so crazy to think that like this was really just supposed to be a time fill because the play they didn't think was long enough. So he had to mm -hmm. go add a song. And then now this song is at weddings. It's at receptions. It's at birthday parties, like everything. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, like I said, like if you go to a wedding where there's like a theater geek getting married, this song will 100% be on the playlist somewhere. Mm -hmm. I did find some fun facts about this song and the production. Oh, yeah, please share. Let's do this. So one of the early ideas for the film was that they kind of wanted to emulate what the filmmakers did with Wizard of Oz which was kind of start the movie off black and white, or I guess technicolor in Wizard of Oz sense. The filmmakers of Rocky Horror would have liked to start the movie off in black and white, and then it wouldn't be until... I've heard two things. I've heard one, that as soon as they got into the room and everyone was doing the time warp, that everything would be in color. And then I also heard another source said that the color wouldn't come in until Frankenfurter entered. I'm not sure which one's true, but I do know that they did play around with the idea of desaturating the film for a certain amount of time, and then the burst of color would come in, but it ultimately ended up being like too expensive of an idea to execute, so they did have to scrap it. But I think it's for the better, because I think this movie is so rich in color, and I love like the different levels, and I love how even some of the subtle colors can tell you a bit about the character that's wearing the color or that is associated with the color. So I like the version that we ended up with. Don't you? I absolutely agree. And I do want to just um, concur what concur with what Misa said there. I did find both of those as well. Um, so I, I absolutely agree with you though. I, I like the way it was done. Um, I'm glad it saved them money. I think it was perfectly executed. Yeah. Yeah, um, I did hear, I, I'm sure you came across this as well, I did hear that there is a rumor that, like, there is a version that is black and white up until the time warp somewhere, but I don't know where to find it. Well, I, I agree with you. I did hear that, but when I was, um, I actually saw that on a uh, YouTube interview clip, and Richard said that he is the only one who has that. I don't know if that's true, or if it was just in that one, or if we watched the same interview. Hmm. I bet. Oh, I bet Richard O'Brien has all kinds of goodies stashed oh, away. Oh, absolutely, sir. I wish I could see them. That so, would be cool. Wouldn't that be amazing? So again, like we've mentioned several times, this song 
it does have the same characters. It has Riff Raff, it has Magenta. It's so dreamy. Oh, fantasy free me. So you can't see me. No, not at all. We are introduced to Columbia. So we already know Richard O'Brien is the one who played Riff Raff in all three of those very first um, original plays, Broadway and film. Magenta um, played, was played by Patricia Quinn. And then in the Broadway version, it was Jamie Donnelly. But then Patricia did come back to revise her character um, in the film. Nell Campbell is such a lovely person. I got the chance to meet her twice as well. And she just gets better and better every time you see her. She's so energetic. She's fun. And you can tell she just embraces the Rocky Horror cult. So Nell did originate, originate the character in the original version. But for Broadway, it was played by Bonnie Inton. And then she did come back to do the film as well. I thought it was really cool. In the 2000 Broadway revival, Joan Jett actually played Columbia, and I thought that was so cool. You are damn fucking right. I remember hearing about that when she got casted, and I just, <gasps> I ached. My heart, it ached inside of my soul, because all I wanted to do was see it. There was no way I was going to be able to. <laughs> right, right, to go see it. Yeah, crazy. Um, and so some of the other people who have played Columbia are Meloria Hardin, Sophie Linder Lee, Annalie Ashford, and um, Jana Amorum. Uh, some of the other people who have played Magenta and who have sang the song include Daphne Rubin Vega, Evan Rachel Wood, slash Nicole Scherzinger. I don't know if I say her name right. The lead singer from Pussycat Dolls. Yes. Um, Jade Westaby, uh, Christina Milian, Ivy Levan, and um, oh, I'm going to butcher this, guys. I'm so sorry. It's a Brazilian name, so I apologize, but it is spelled like Gocha. So sorry, guys. So sorry. Gocha forgives you. <laughs> we appreciate it. Um, so yeah, the song has been, of course, filled with lots of different actors playing these characters because it's just been revived so many times, which does mean that we have tons and tons of covers. What are some of the covers? That you came across, Misa, or that were like that stood out to you. You ready for this? <laughs> oh gosh, I I can't even imagine. Uh, it, well, it's not as long, but you know, because there are three lead vocalists for this song, it does seem like a long list of of actors and actresses who've portrayed it. Um, some of which you may have already mentioned. So some of the ones that I found, Frankie mentioned earlier, the new Broadway cast in the year 2000 included Raul Esparza as Riff Raff. For those of us who are Law & Order SVU fans, he was mm. Barba, the sexiest DA ever. And he had a heart, guys. Oh my gosh, he was so handsome. I love, I love, I love him. Or, guys, if you're a fan of BoJack Horseman, he was the mouse that Princess Carolyn dated for a little while. <laughs> that too? 
<laughs> yeah, he was in BoJack for oh, like a God, season and a half. I want to say everything. Love he him. literally does everything. I actually just last night I was watching an interview that he did on YouTube, and he talked about his time with Rocky Horror. It turns out he has been doing Broadway since he was eighteen, and his very first production was Tartuffe. What? Yeah, and he's also he also did Danny Zuko in Greece. He was also in Evita, and he did obviously Rocky Horror by 2000. He was refreshed. I am baffled. Love him. I do. So multi-talented. <laughs> Along with Raul Esparza, uh, Dick Cavett, Daphne Rubin Vega, and the ensemble were part of the new Broadway cast in 2000. And uh, actually, I found a video on YouTube of Raul and the ensemble from that cast and Joan Jett performing Time Warp on the Rosie O'Donnell show. You did not. I totally did. I'm going to post it on the blog. Oh, <laughs> All right. So some other covers include, uh, there is an artist named Damien who released the Time Warp, his Time Warp cover in the 1980s. We have a Mexican group, RBD, who performed the song in Spanish on their Generación RBD en Vivo tour. Uh, we have Aiden Bell, who in 1994, um, released it on his album he actually had a history of playing riffraff in the stage show and so when he covered this on his album it was more of a solo album so he was doing covers from other musicals that he had been in before so that was pretty cool cool. that's awesome um we also have the string cheese incident who did a live version in 2002 during a show in san francisco we have the piano project who did a just piano cover for their Classic Rock Piano Covers Volume 3, released in 2019. We have the Vitamin String Quartet, who covered this song for their Modern Broadway Hits album, released in 2010. We have a group called Sweet 70s, which I couldn't find anything through Google about them, but they covered this in 2017 for their Glam Masters album. We have a group called Black Lace, who covered this on their Saturday Night album for 1994. And the University of Oklahoma Marching Band performed this song, and it's featured on an album called The Pride of Oklahoma 2010. And some of the other themes that they had on that album include The Incredibles theme, Poker Face, Proud Mary, and Beetlejuice. How amazing. So that was pretty cool. Wow. What I love about this is that you can see just like how the people who cover this are from all different genres. Um, I do know that Kids Bob actually has a version of this song as well as the um, Chipmunks. Oh my gosh, I love that. I haven't heard the Chipmunks rendition. Yeah, I'm going to have to send it to you because it's kind of amazing. Please do that. Oh, and of course, from the Rocky Horror Punk Rock show, the Groovy Ghoulies covered the Time Warp. I remember when I was like younger, I really didn't like their rendition because he's really kind of monotone and nasally. Um, mm-hmm. But now I, I just appreciate it for what it is, which is just another version of a really awesome song. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, love it so much. Awesomeness. Some of the other fun facts about the song and the production this dance for the time warp was actually inspired by a scene in the movie bande de par by director jean-luc 
And this same film went on to inspire the dance scene in Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. Yeah. So I will post a video of that so everyone knows where the reference came from. So that's really cool to know the origin of the time warp itself. <laughs> that's amazing. We mentioned the grandfather clock at the beginning of this song. Really cool, fun, morbid fact about that. Uh, the grandfather clock was actually commissioned by a woman whose dead husband's skeleton is the one sitting inside of it. Yeah, a real skeleton. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's crazy. cool. And so then um, a couple of fun facts. Patricia Quinn's hair, while it does appear red in the film, her hair was actually black at the time. And instead of dyeing it, she actually had it spray painted every day that she was on set. So <laughs> that must have been fun to wash out eventually. And uh, last thing I have as far as fun facts, Time Warp was added as downloadable content to Guitar Hero Warriors of Rock in 2010. So those of you who are guitar heroes, you probably remember jamming out to this. I definitely do. I definitely do. Yes. Um, and then we also, did you find some references to the Time Warp in TV and movie? Yes. So there is a whole episode where um, on the Drew Carey show, the ending was changed to like this really cool like flash dance scene with Rocky, uh, with Time Warp. Um, yes. There is also the Perks of Being a Wallflower, where they go to a whole midnight showing, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why I absolutely love that book. And I know Misa will agree with me. Definitely. I remember, uh, the, I don't know about you, but I, I got introduced to that book in high school. Yes. And I remember the back cover, it straight up mentions the Rocky Horror Picture Show by name. So mm -hmm. that alone intrigued me. Definitely. I was like, oh, sold. I'm a fan. Um, <laughs> there is references, uh, references to the time warp in the 1980 movie Fame, um, Sesame Street. In 1989, they had a whole little scene with uh, Susan and the Count. Um, like I said, uh, that 70s show, we see Fez actually uh, dressed as Frank. Yes, with the big pearls. <laughs> and they reference Time Warp. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, one of my favorite Disney shows, um, Phineas and Ferb, um, alluded to the Time Warp as well with um, talking about rock and roll music numbers. Um, we already mentioned the Glee cover of it. Um, the Simpsons, of course. Misa, you want to talk about that one? <laughs> I will. Um, guys, actually, I'm gonna, I am gonna. have a confession to make. <sighs> the episode that The Simpsons parodied the time warp actually fucking terrified me when I first watched it. <laughs> Really? Because, okay, it's it's a Halloween episode, and it's actually from season 27. It's episode four. The The way the time warp comes into play is that Marge takes Bart trick-or-treating too late, and so by now all the houses are turning the lights off and everyone's out of candy, and now all the adults are emerging with their scandalous, like scantily clad <laughs> costumes, and they change the lyrics of the time warp 
to now it's time for adult Halloween. And so everyone's getting sloppy drunk and they're making out with each other. But that's not the horrifying part, guys, I promise. Um, (laughs) This was also like in addition to their annual uh, Halloween episode, this this was a completely different episode. And earlier in the episode, Lisa gets scared at a theme park and some of the things she sees legitimately terrified me more than any of their Halloween specials ever had when I was a kid. Really? I'm telling you. And this is a fairly recent episode because it's only, they're only on their 31st, 32nd season. And this was season 27. So I was an adult when I watched this and I was like, uh, I might be too high. Guys, if you have Disney Plus, which I know you all do, (laughs) feel free to check out that episode of The Simpsons. It is good. I promise. It just, it's, it scared me. I'm a wuss. That is so funny, but not at the same time. I do want to shout out to the Drew Carey one that you mentioned. I used to have that one on tape. I used to have it on VHS, and I fucking love that episode. For those of you who may want to go back and look, it's season two, episode 24, and I just think everyone looks great. Like fucking uh, Oswald, who's played by uh, Dredrick Batter, he is Frankenfurter, and he is almost spot on Frankenfurter. (laughs) Yes. And yes, then yes, 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 yes. we have Lewis, who is riffraff, and he's actually an amazing riffraff because he's already really tall and lanky. Mm-hmm. And then Kate is she curls her hair and she goes as Janet in the slip and the bra, and she looks great. And then Drew, <laughs> Drew goes as Brad, but he's wearing like a white shirt and like and boxers. boxers, and he's like, "Wow, I can't believe my Brad costume still fits." <laughs> And so, yeah, so they have this dance-off with Mimi, and her her friends are dressed for The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, <laughs> which is a musical also in its own right, and so they do have a dance-off, and then they all get arrested. It's fun, guys. It's awesome. It is actually really hilarious. It's amazing. In addition to those references, Time Warp has also been featured in an episode of Cold Case, which aired on May 1st, 2005. The episode was called Creatures of the Night, and the episode is centered around a man who was murdered while his girlfriend was attending the Rocky Horror Midnight Showing. And the murderer in the episode was a character named Roy Anthony, who is loosely based on the serial killer Coral Eugene Watts. And, fun fact, the actor who played Roy Anthony in this episode of Cold Case was none other than Barry Bostwick. Shut up. Yeah, so that's super cool. And so it's funny because Bostwick shows up on screen as the murderer, and then you see footage of him in Rocky Horror during the theater scene. So he's kind of in it twice. (laughs) That Um, is amazing. Yeah, so that's one of those meta facts for those of you who spotted it. Um, In addition to those, we have a film called Connie and Carla from 2004, which was written by... Mia Vardalos, who she did the My Big Fat Greek Wedding screenplay story. So in this film, it's a duo in drag, and they're auditioning for a show, and they decide to perform Time Warp for their audition. (laughs) Frankie mentioned fame, which also includes a a midnight showing scene. We also have the Spanish cast of 1986 recorded a music video for Time Warp, featuring performances by Jose Flores as Riff Raff, Martha Escobar as Magenta, 
Alejandra Espijo as Colombia and Manuel Guerrilla, I'm sorry, as the criminologist. So I'm going to try to find that music video for the blog as well. And then I did note the the 2001 Broadway cast performed live at the 55th annual Tony Awards. Uh, the show that year had been nominated for Best Revival. Then we have the British show, The X Factor, which is that talent scouting show, if I'm if I'm remembering right. Yeah, you're remembering right. Yeah, cool. Um, so they had a contestant named Chico Slimani, who was voted off, and as a farewell, he performed The Time Warp. Frankie mentioned this, season one, episode 97 of VH1's Behind the Music, uh, which was all about Rocky Horror, and Richard O'Brien played the song Unplugged. Uh, in addition to the over at the Frankenstein place, so oh, he did amazing. A, he did a few. That was that aired on Halloween in 1999, and then oh, the one I already mentioned where uh, the Raúl Esparza Joan Jet cast performed on Rosie O'Donnell's talk show in November of 2000. So those of you who remember when Rosie O'Donnell had a talk show, you might have watched it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. That was it for me. Those were all the ones I found. It's really cool to see all these different interpretations and all the different styles in which people take the time warp and make it their own. And with that, guys, we conclude part one of the Rocky Horror Soundtrack Show. We hope you're enjoying it so far. And if you'd like to hear more, please check out part two entitled Late Night Double Feature. We hope to chill you, thrill you, and fulfill you. Thanks for listening to part one, and we hope you enjoy part two.